We here at We Talk About Dead People value the truth above all else. Indeed. And so we must make it known that we will face these vile accusations directly in the face and deny them completely without even considering the fact that Walt Disney was just a man with the ability to make mistakes. <laughs> How dumb. That's so dumb. Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. You know, we need to sell We Talk About uh, Dead People-themed fidget spinners. Oh. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Fidget spinners and... Pinatas. Pinatas. We actually have a t-shirt, everybody, if you want to buy one. There's no way to currently get no. it. <laughs> I have the only copy. <laughs> but maybe someday. Maybe someday. In the meantime, though, we hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurish best to give a basic account of the major events of these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're gonna try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? We have Walt Disney and Salah Adin Yusuf. Salah Adin Yusuf, otherwise known as Saladin. Yes. Uh, and that's what I'm gonna call him this whole time because it's just easier, and it's the European way of ah, doing of things. Of course it is. And uh, I gotta ask though, why is some Sultan paired up with the king of the planet, Walt fucking Disney? Well, life just isn't fair sometimes, is it? No. No, it fucking isn't. Well, it's not like you picked Walt Disney and then told me I should do Saladin or anything. Don't you get me started, James! Why did you pick Walt Disney anyway? Because he's just... He's so great. He's the greatest man who ever lived. Never did anything wrong, never hurt anybody. Just made amazing movies and fathered the best company to ever exist. Wait, wait. I, I really thought you hated Disney. Uh, maybe in the old days I might have been misguided. But, you know, there's a reason that everyone loves Disney. I mean, what could more could you ask for from a giant corporation that will sue your ass back to the Stone Age for no reason at all? Everyone loves Disney because it's just such a great company. In the 90s, it gave us the Lion King, and now it's giving it to us again. But this time it's different. I will tell you, James Disney is so awesome that it's touting a computer animated film about lions as the live-action remake, and the absolute geniuses are getting away with it! Wow. Can you say that about any other media monster in the States? I didn't think so! And you know what else? Disney's films are so fucking good that the corporation has finally decided to restrict all viewing access of its films to its own Netflix-style streaming service! You wanna watch Peter Pan on Netflix? Come on, what kind of commie bastard would do that? But hey, wanna watch Star Wars? Join the fun on the new Disney streaming service, the only place you'll ever be able to stream Star Wars movies in the near future. You want to watch Peter Pan on... Net Fuck, I skipped the line. Yeah. Uh, God damn it. And hell, not just Star Wars, but Marvel movies too! Disney is so great, it's acquired 30% of the entertainment market and is doing its very best to crush all competition in the media because all competition in the industry is traitorous to the new order. Uh... And speaking of Star Wars, those brave boys out there making those new and exciting films to add to the beloved saga have produced not only the most expectation-subverting masterpiece, they have also created the smartest Star Wars movie ever made. And you know what else, James? What? Fuck Mark Hamill! Oh. The dick had the gall to speak up about his disappointments with the newest movie, so good old Disney made him take it all back. 
For shame, Mark Hamill! How dare you level any criticism at the on-screen divinity that is The Last Jedi! The movie was perfect before it was even made! And you question being forced to milk a fucking alien in the most bizarre fucking scene ever filmed? That scene, that whole movie, is the best movie ever made! All Disney movies are the best movies ever made! Praise Disney! Y you sound... Difference. That's just because I've submitted. I've submitted to the new god of the planet, and I couldn't be happier. I fucking love Disney! You are an enigma. But you know who isn't an enigma? No. The Christ child himself, Walt fucking Disney, to the history lab! One, a warrior who fought and defeated infidels in the holy war to make one company the only speaking mouth on the fucking planet. The other, a warrior and ruler who defended his country and practiced chivalry and respect toward those who disagreed with him. These two great men collectively hold 22 Oscars and 59 Oscar nominations. In the battle for who can be portrayed fairly on this show, only one has the objective historical material left uncensored to make it happen. So James, tell me, if you could remake any movie on the planet, what would you pick and why? Uh, probably Mary Poppins. Ah, uh, what? That fucks up my joke! <laughs> oh, does it? <laughs> so James, tell me, if you could remake any movie on the planet, what would you pick and why? Uh, well, I guess I'd probably have to choose... Well, that's interesting. You know what I'd pick? I'd pick Mary Poppins. Oh. Well, they're already remaking that. What? Yeah, Emma Stone plays Mary Poppins. What? That's a terrible pick! <laughs> yeah, just kidding. They picked Emily Blunt. Oh, well, I guess that's better. Hasn't Disney run out of mummies to resurrect uh, yet? They never will. Well, good, because I love Disney and will never get tired of them jacking themselves off before the eyes of our children. Oh, God. Computer, please bring up Walt Disney and An Nazir Salah Adin Yusuf ibn Ayyub. I think it's Ayyub. <laughs> So, tell me, James, mm -hmm. what was Saladin best known for? Saladin is best known for uniting the most of the Muslim world uh, right after the Second Crusade and right before the Third Crusade. Oh, how exciting! Lots of crusades in this story. Oh boy, mm -hmm. I know that's a favorite topic of yours. It is, yes. It's a favorite topic of mine as well. Yes. Kind of. <laughs> Not really. I prefer World War II. Uh. No, World War One. We need another world war. No, no. Just so Dan Carlin can do an episode on it. The, the rule of threes. <laughs> so uh, what did Saladin look like? Saladin looks like a man who was taking a bath, uh, and then three toaster ovens were thrown into the bathtub. <laughs> what? And he is, he didn't die. He's now electrocuted and energetic and ready to take on the world. It just sounds like you forgot to write a physical description. We don't write anything. That's this right. is we all don't have ad lib. Like, we what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, speaking of, uh, what is Walt Disney best known for? Walt Disney was best known for being a, quote, pioneer in the American animation industry and for inventing Disney World. Oh. Yeah. What did he look like? <clears throat> uh, not a bad looking dude, actually. Oh. He sports a mustache that would make Otto von Bismarck swoon, Ooh. dreamy eyes, and large ears just like my dear, dear grandfather. Oh. God rest his soul. Oh, that's sad. Uh. <laughs> So, uh, why don't we well, just, let's just get into let's this. Just get into, let's move into Walt Disney's early life. Okay. Okay. 
So Walt Disney was born in a stable in Bethlehem in 1901. He was born of a virgin and was placed in a manger while kings and shepherds visited him. There are reports that uh, at the scene of his birth, angels showed up and sang Hosanna for like three hours. Holy shit! Yeah, wow. so just as the ancient text prophesied our Lord and Savior Walt Disney Christ appeared on Earth, God himself at last in physical form, to save the whole world from its own destruction. They say that there was even a star aligned above his holy sight to mark the coming of our Lord. Okay, okay, stop. This is a joke, I get it. But why? Uh, well, James, Walt Disney ap apparently never did anything wrong. At least not according to the Disney Company's official narrative about this man's life. Ah. Yes, but I will stop joking now. Walt Disney was born in 1901, not in the stable in Bethlehem, but in the, I think it's Hermosa neighborhood in Chicago. I think so, yeah. I mean, but, you know, with these towns, you know, it's like Greenwich, Greenwich. Yeah, like, that's true. So it might be Hermosa. You know, I don't know. Yes. We Americans have weird names for things. Mm. But anyway, he was the father of... Uh, the father of five. Yeah, he was Already. born in 1901. No, he was the fourth of five children. Oh, okay. Sorry. Born to Elias Disney, who was a Canadian of Irish heritage. Oh. And Flora Disney, a German Anglo-American who was described as being lively and fun. Well, so his, his name really is Disney. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I'm... What? Yes. Wait. <laughs> just, just move on. You're we just... don't need to know. Okay, okay. Uh, so the, um, his yes. parents had met in Chicago and okay. had lived there for a good while. But in 1906, when Walt Disney was about five years old, they picked up and moved to Missouri to live in his uncle's newly purchased land. Oh, okay. Live in his land. That's what I said. Um, yes. Uh, oh, okay. Um, they're living in the land. The people of the earth. Sure. <laughs> Salt of the earth. Head west. Okay, man. so, <clears throat> anyway. While here, little Walt started drawing, and he was really good at it, particularly at drawing cartoons. Nice. He would copy cartoons from his father's newspaper using crayons, and he was also super interested in trains because the family lived near a rail line. This will come up later. Oh. Uh, anyway, he started a school in 1909 and switched schools in 1911 when his family moved to Kansas City, which is hilariously in Missouri. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. So, in Kansas City, Missouri, yeah. uh, Disney started going to his little grammar school, uh, but he was also employed by his father to deliver papers in the wee hours of the morning. Ooh. The poor kid and his brother Roy were up at 4.30 oh and out God. delivering papers every day, uh, and this took a toll on their grades at school, uh, sure. but the brothers kept working this job for like six years, uh, which just sounds terrible. Yeah. I mean, I was a paper boy. One time I knocked a, a, a screen out of a window because I threw the paper through the window. Thought it was empty. Wait, is this a true story? That's a true story. Really? Yeah. I was so, I was like probably six. I started crying because I thought I broke something. Oh, wow. My mom just goes up and pops it right back in. <laughs> Thank you, Mom. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so it wasn't all bad. Being a paper boy wasn't okay. the worst thing. So sure. He continued to work on his cartoons and took some art classes and met a kid at school named Walter Pfeiffer, who got Disney interested in movies. Mm. Uh, this became really, uh, they became really good friends, and Disney started spending more of his time at this other kid's house than at his own house. Oh, kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, in 1917, Disney's family went back to Chicago, where Walt was enrolled in McKinley High School. He got a job with the high school's paper as a cartoonist. At this nice. time, of course, World War One was oh, happening. God damn it! So, <laughs> so he was drawing mostly patriotic and political cartoons about nice. all the players and that whole fiasco. Hmm. Uh, in 1918, he actually tried to join the army and go fight uh, fight against the Germans uh, because America had finally gotten involved in the war. Yeah. But he was rejected for being too young hmm. and the American army didn't want to li risk losing, you know, the Messiah to an artillery barrage or poison gas. Right. But this didn't stop Disney. <clears throat> he forged a new birth certificate for himself and joined the Red Cross. Cool. 
After the war was over, he was working in France as an ambulance driver. He kept drawing, often putting his cartoons on the walls of the interior of the ambulance. Oh, yeah, he that's got, so cute. He's yeah, <laughs> so adorable. Yeah. Anyway, so he got noticed because of this, and some of his stuff was put in a few issues of the Army newspaper, Stars and Stripes. Huh. Which, I don't know if that still exists. I, I don't know. Probably not. Uh, but probably also, maybe yes. Different uh, name. Well, we should we? Google it! Stars and Stripes yeah, while magazine! James, while James Googles this, I'm going to tell you all a story. It's a very good story. Um, yes, it's, it exists. It, it still exists? Yep. Amazing! Yeah. We have a newspaper called <laughs> Stars and Stripes! Can you think of anything more American than that? Uh, shitting on third world countries. <laughs> That joke again. Yep. A year later, anyway. Okay, wait, so wait, what was your story? I don't have a story. I was trying, oh. I was bullshitting. I don't well. have any stories. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, okay, so he was writing for Stars and Stripes, right? Yes. Um, but a year later, he was back in Kansas City, which is also in Missouri, uh -huh. uh, for no reason at all, nope. as an apprentice at an art studio. Uh, he was railroaded into drawing for commercials and the like, uh, but it wasn't to last. The company began to fail, and so Disney was laid off with his friend Ub Iwerks. I think it's Iwerks. Oh. It is Ub. Uh. I'm pretty sure it's Ub. <laughs> okay. Okay. Maybe it's Oob. It looks like Oob. <laughs> okay, it's Ub Iwerks. Okay. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. Uh, which, it's a great name, so there yes. you go. Uh, anyway, uh, the two started their own business called the Iwerks Disney Commercial Artist. Oh. Yeah, but it wasn't a huge success, so oh. Disney left the company to go work at an ad company where he was introduced to animation. And he ate it up. Oh, shit. He liked animation so much that he bought all the equipment he would need to do it at nude. He would Whoa. need to do it at home. Uh, yeah, he needed uh, to animate nude. Yeah. Pornography. Uh, God. <laughs> uh, so he started working at home, um, and uh, he was told some of his animations to a local theater. Hmm. Uh, and they'd play them before features. And oh, yeah. These cartoons were called Laughograms. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, but they were really popular. That sounds like a lie test the FBI would subject <laughs> someone to. The laughograph. <laughs> yeah. They make you watch Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, and if you laugh, you're a communist. Yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so uh, Disney thought it would be a great idea to start a business surrounding these laughograms. Got it. And he called this business the Laughogram Studio. Mm. Uh, now, these short cartoons didn't make much money, just like podcasting, and Disney thought he could make his company take off by producing a half cartoon, half live-action short film about Alice in Wonderland. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, he finished it right about the same time the company failed. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> and so Disney moved to Hollywood in 1923. Now, it's worth noting at this time, New York was producing the most cartoons in the country. Really? Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, but his brother had a bad case of tuberculosis in Los Angeles, and he wanted to be near his brother, thus the move to Hollywood. Okay. Um, so while in Hollywood, Disney managed to get a contract to make more of his Alice in Wonderland-style movies, so work wow. was coming. Uh, and he hired iWorks to animate with him and move out to Hollywood. Oh, his old friend. Yup. So, it's 1925, and Disney has married a woman named Lillian Bounds. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Lillian His Bounds. love abounds for her. Oh, God. <laughs> what was that? Oh, God. <laughs> that was my bad pun sound. <laughs> anyway, so he hired, he had hired uh, Lillian uh, to work at his company, mm -hmm. and that's how they met. And he didn't, ah. I mean, yeah, there was definitely. That's how he, it goes. He definitely didn't hire her because he, he thought she was hot. Didn't happen. Okay. Definitely not. Um, right. So the two had two kids together. Uh, and it reportedly was a nice marriage. Oh. And of course it was. It's Walt fucking Disney. Dude, yeah, of course. Yeah, so. Uh, but that's where we'll leave Jesus Christ. I mean Walt Disney for now. And when we come back to him, we will be talking about his adult life. Hello. <laughs> so, James, do you want to take a break? Yes. Okay. We're going to take a break, everybody. And when we come back, we'll be talking about uh, Saladin's early life. I hope you're ready. 
I'm not. You wrote it. I mean, you didn't. We don't fucking write Fuck. the show. <laughs> Welcome back to We Talk About Dead People. Uh, when we left off, we were talking about Walt Disney's uh, early life. And now we're going to be moving into Saladin's early life. Uh, James, what what's your take on Saladin's early life? You, you sound like a Republican candidate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying my best here. Um, no, I, a Republican candidate? How about any candidate? Well, that's true. They're all like, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they sound like. No. At the debates, it's just 30 people up on stage if it's the Republican <laughs> National Convention. They're all like, ah, all at the same time. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna cut all this. Welcome back to We Talk yes. About Dead People. Um, and we're gonna be talking about Saladin's early life. Saladin's early life. Take it away, James! Okay, so here we are with Saladin's early life, and we'll begin with a quick disclaimer. Perfect! Saladin's whole story is actually pretty long, complicated, and political, kind of like my police record. Uh, of course. Uh, <laughs> I actually had to rewrite this whole episode twice, except I didn't write it. You didn't write it. In my head. You wrote is. it in your head. On my brain. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so I figured the best way to start Saladin's story is by talking about him. You wanted to say the exact I, I did. <laughs> and I figured the best way to start Saladin's story is not by talking about him at all, and oh. instead talk about the context preceding the dude. Huh, who wants context? All I want are, like, headlines and bullet points. Context is not important at all. <laughs> I'm off the chain, man. You're so aggressive today. <laughs> okay, so take it away. Try, try to uh, give us okay, a little context okay, okay, then. All right. Picture the scene with me. Okay. Middle East, early 1100s CE. Okay. <laughs> uh, at the moment, you have a couple diff different Islamic kingdoms all fighting for complete control of the region. You've got the Sultanate of Rome in modern-day Turkey, you've mm. got the Zangid din dynasty in Syria, and you've got the Abbasid Caliphate in the Iraq area. I have never heard of any of them. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, there's a bunch of other Islamic dynasties as well, but those are the big boys. Okay. Uh, and so they're often fighting each other for all sorts of different reasons. Like you do? Uh, confused yet? Not at all. Well, just hang on. <laughs> to make matters more complicated, oh my god! Gosh, Aaron, what? do you know what time it is? What time it's is it? time for the Crusades! <laughs> what was that? I don't know. It's time for the Crusades! <laughs> it's my crusading voice. Okay. Okay, so in the year 1095, Pope Urban II <laughs> issued a holy call to all warriors of Christendom to head east and battle the Muslims. Why? Why? <laughs> well, for a bunch of reasons. Okay. But two of the biggest reasons was the Seljuk Turks had just crushed the Byzantine Empire and had taken over most of Turkey and the holy city of Jerusalem and the Levant, which are important areas in Christianity's history, obviously. Uh, so those are under Islamic control. I have a quick question before you go on. Uh-huh. What is the Levant? I'm it, completely ignorant of it. Sure. It's like the whole Israel area. It's it's kind of like from... Today it would be like southern Syria, Lebanon, and uh, Israel. Oh, It's okay. kind of like the whole Mediterranean coast. Oh, so it's, it's like a region. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. not a country, it's a region. That makes me feel really stupid because I've read that word before and never like, gone, huh, what does that mean? But well, that's roughly what it is, I yeah. guess. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, so yes... 
the Muslims control all the Christian Holy Land. Okay. Uh, so the Crusades were called to retake the Holy Land. Hooray! And there were a shit ton of Crusades. <laughs> yes. uh, crusades in the Middle East, Crusades in Spain, Crusades in Lithuania, Crusades in Bohemia. Bohemia? Crusades in Southern... Yeah, that's John Zisco, remember? Oh, right! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Uh, crusades in Southern France. Crusades, Crusades, Crusades! Yay! Europe went Crusade crazy! Yeah. Uh, and if you want to know a little more about the First Crusade and the People's Crusade, and even an American Crusade, uh, feel free to listen to our episode on Hernan Cortez and Peter the Hermit. You're gonna hate it! <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. Anyway. You may hate it. Who knows? <laughs> Uh, so the First Crusade was really the only successful one, at least the only Middle Eastern Crusade that was successful. Okay. Uh, so a coalition of Crusaders from Italy, Germany, France, and Sicily were able to take back Jerusalem and most of the Levant for Christendom? Yay! Yeah. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this was the First Crusade, and the successful Crusaders then set up a few new Christian kingdoms in the conquered lands. Uh, these kingdoms are usually summarized as just the Crusader states. That's cute. Uh, but if we're being technical, they included the Kingdom of Jerusalem, the County of Tripoli, the County of Edessa, and the Principality of Antioch. And Principality is such a badass word. It is a badass word. Yeah. Uh, so a few decades later, this Muslim leader named Zangi, oh great, uh, who was leading the cleverly named Kingdom of the Zangids, <laughs> uh, he managed to conquer the Crusader County of Edessa, okay. and this caused Mr. Popey to freak the fuck out and call for a second crusade. Yeah, baby. Which pretty much totally failed. Oh uh, shit. <laughs> uh, the Crusaders tried to take over the city of Damascus, but failed and were defeated, and that's about it. They just gave up. Uh, well, except the Crusaders. Did manage to take back the city of Lisbon in Portugal, which huh? is kind of random. That is random. Yeah, but there are Muslims over there too. So okay. Crusades everywhere. Interesting. Anyways. This is the climate that Saladin is born into. All the Islamic kingdoms are kind of fighting themselves, and this infighting makes it possible for the Crusade states to survive. Okay. So we should probably actually start talking about Saladin now, huh? Perfect. Uh, okay, well, let's begin by not talking about Saladin at all, and instead talk about his daddy. Uh, okay. So Fine. Saladin's dad was this Kurdish guy by the name of Ayub. Ayub. I think it's Ayub. Guys, I just want to say right now... We're Americans. <laughs> we can't pronounce for shit. <laughs> we don't have any reason to be. <laughs> I mean, it's like Saladin. Salah. What? Saladin? Like, how hard is it to say Saladin? But we gotta say Saladin. Yeah. No, Saladin. 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 I've had Saladin. <laughs> He's like a salad. <laughs> I've had Saladin next to steak. What the fuck? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Uh, okay. So Saladin's dad is Ayub. Okay. Uh, and Ayub was the warden of this fortress called Tikrit. Or uh, Tikrit. Who knows? Tikrit. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's in modern-day Iraq on the Tigris River. Perfect. So one day Ayub is just doing the warden thing when he sees a giant army approaching his fortress. Uh-oh! Turns out this army was led by that guy named Zangi, who I mentioned earlier. Okay. And they are in full retreat after being defeated earlier. Oh. Okay. But now Zangi and his army are stuck on the Tigris. River and they can't get across and they are doomed. Okay. Uh, but Ayub feels bad for these fuckers, so he quickly organizes a bunch of boats to ferry them across the Tigris, and then he lets them rest and recuperate in his fortress. Whoa! A pretty cool thing to do. That's pretty sweet. And he wasn't a part of their kingdom. He was just like, hey, you need help? Uh, hey, 
hang out with me. <laughs> anyway, so Zangi and his army are most gracious for this act of kindness, and then they all leave to go home, and all is back to normal, uh, except not. Mm, oh. So then the warden, oh. <laughs> uh, so then the warden Ayub gets involved with this whole murder scheme because he's the brother of this guy who killed this other important guy, what? and so Ayub is stripped of his title and told to get the fuck out of the fortress. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so he was caught in a conspiracy. No, his brother was caught in the conspiracy. Oh. And just because he was the brother with this guy, he gets stripped of his title and kicked out. Oh. Yeah, kind of shitty. That sucks. Yeah. Uh, so Ayub is now homeless, jobless, friendless. Oh, and his wife is also very preggers. Pre preggers? <laughs> yep. Did you write this drunk? I mean, you didn't write yep. it. Are you drunk? <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. No, I'm not. Okay. Just two glasses of wine. <laughs> Uh, Ayub then gets an idea that maybe that guy Zangi will remember him from years prior. Uh-oh! After all, Ayub did, you know, save Zangi and his whole army. Yes. So Ayub takes his family to the city of Mazul, and Zangi remembers him, and in, act, in an act of thanks, appoints Ayub as the new commander of the fortress of Baalbek. Okay, but is Mosul pronounced Mazul? I thought it was Mosul. I've heard both. Ugh. That sucks. Yeah. Almost. I've heard Mazul as well. We just don't know anything nope. over here. Nope. <laughs> Somebody send some information. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Teach us how to say things. All right, so now they're in Baalbek. And then Zangi dies. Okay. Yes. Uh, and then Baalbek gets attacked, and Ayub and his family are basically taken prisoner and moved to the city of Damascus. Okay. Anyway, to finish this whole section up, Ayub's young son is this little pipsqueak named Saladin. Ah. Uh, so Saladin's upbringing is kind of tumultuous, if you haven't gathered. Okay. Uh, nonetheless, Saladin showed himself to be a pretty intelligent chap and seems to have really loved growing up in Damascus. Oh, nice. Uh, but now Saladin is an adult, and so he starts life as a mercenary fighting for his uncle Shirka, oh. who is employed by the powerful leader Nur Din. Okay. Are you confused? No. Great. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I'll quickly... Better start. summarize. <laughs> quickly summarize. Zangi was helped by Saladin's dad. Then Zangi died. Zangi's heir is this guy named Nuruddin, who is really important to the later, sto the later story, so remember him. Okay. One of Nuruddin's top generals is this guy named Shirka, who is Saladin's uncle, and Saladin serves under him. Uh, okay. And now that I've spent only three sentences talking about Saladin's early life, we'll end the section on Saladin's early life. Okay, that sounds that sounds just peachy. Pickles has decided to visit us. Little Pickles. <sighs> yep, I want to skin him. Yeah, uh, he's probably gonna start crying for dinner here in a second. So, <sighs> should we just pause it and feed him? And no. Oh no. Oh shit. Fuck the cat. We can go on. Okay. All right. I say we go right into Walt Disney's adult life. Okay. Because this is going to take fucking forever, and we're not going to take a break. This is going to be a long episode, All right, people. Get, uh, get ready. Mm, mm. So, Walt Disney's adult life. Huh. So, when we left Disney, he had gotten married and whatnot. He was also working in animation at his own company, the Laughagram Company. Yes. No, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, I think that comes. Oh, that, that should... Yeah, never mind. Yeah, shut up. Okay. <laughs> um, but he's working at his own company. Yes. Uh, and besides the two kids uh, he had with his wife, he also adopted a six-week-old baby girl just because he's such a great guy. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. In 1927, Disney and his buddy Ub create a cartoon character called Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, oh. who Disney described as saucy. Oh. <laughs> he sold some of his work, which just means he's kind of like a drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Just in case you okay. guys aren't familiar with that. Hmm. Um... 
Uh, and I wasn't familiar with it. I had to Google it. <laughs> what does saucy mean? Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, so anyway, he sold some of his work to a guy named Charles Mintz, uh, who took care of distributing the animations. Uh, unfortunately, though, Mintz was kind of a douchebag. Oh. Yeah, animation is hard work, uh, and getting paid too little for hard work is no fun. Uh, and yes. Mintz was pretty much getting all these Oswald the Lucky Rabbit animations for a song. Mm. Uh, that's not a pun. And Disney wanted more money. Ah. Because animation is fucking hard. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, and he's got a family. Yeah. So, uh, Mintz has been busy stealing personnel from Disney's company by basically offering them more money to work directly for him. Oh. Uh, and he also explained to Disney that Universal Studios actually were the ones holding the intellectual property of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Ah. So, Mintz threatened Disney with an ultimatum. Either Mintz was going to take the character and produce the cartoons without Disney, Oof. or Disney would accept a reduction in the price oh, of his geez. cartoons. Yeah. So Disney Rough. said no to the price reductions, and as a result, almost lost his entire staff to Mintz, everyone except for good old Iwerks. Yes. Yeah. Good. So Disney and Iwerks were just kind of developed uh, Mickey Mouse out of nowhere. Oh. <laughs> um, so he was originally <laughs> going to be called Mortimer Mouse, uh, uh. but his wife thought it was too pompous and suggested Mickey instead. Well, good, good decision. I think it's a good decision. <laughs> yes. Mortimer Mouse sounds hilarious, but Mickey Mouse, I mean, that's iconic right yep. there. So they designed this new icon of heaven to be easy to animate, and Disney actually provided the voice for the character at the outset in 1928. Okay. Iwerks and Disney put together the famous Steamboat Willie cartoon, oh, yeah. uh, which was actually the very first cartoon on the planet to include synchronized sound and music. Ooh, that's out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 Oddly enough, uh, Disney was still distributing his cartoons through Universal, which is that company that kind of screwed him over. Yeah. And they're fleecing him again. Yeah. God. Um, so he asks for more money, and guess what? They rejected Disney again, Ugh. stole some of his staff, and also took iWorks this oh, time. Oh, not iWorks. Yeah, so now Ugh. Disney has been robbed of it all again, and he has a nervous breakdown in the October of 1931. Oh. To recover, he and his wife Lillian went to Cuba to chill out for a while. Hmm. Then they went on a cruise. Then they came home. Okay. Yeah. The thing is, Disney had been smart about Mickey Mouse. Okay. The one thing that Universal didn't get that they got last time they robbed him was the IP for this holy and venerated mouse. Oh. Blessed be he. He started developing. <laughs> his cartoons in color, which was a new thing, okay. and actually won an Academy Award uh, the next year in 1932 for one of these color cartoons. Huh. And uh, the next year, he took home another Academy Award for a short film uh, for his production. It's a short film about the three little pigs, is oh, what I'm trying to okay. say. Yes. And oh. his business exploded. Mm. He had almost 200 staff by the end of 1933. Wow. He invested in a story department, whoa now, well, oh. uh, to develop excellent stories for his beautiful animations, saying that the most important thing in film is an emotionally gripping story. Wow. Please hold for applause. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of. Hey, Pickles, shut, shut the, the fuck, fuck up. Shut the fuck up, man. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, go stare at the wall, you dumbass. Anyway, now Disney didn't just want to make short films for the rest of his life. So in 1934, he and his crew began the development of the studio's first feature-length film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I remember that Lord of the Rings movie. <laughs> <laughs> Starring John Reese davies <laughs> oh, um, So uh, when people found out that this crazy man was going to develop a full-length movie that was entirely animated, they Whoa. laughed and laughed. Sure. But Disney took no notice uh, because he was too busy raking in money and critical acclaim when he released the fucking movie, yeah. but Disney took no notice because he was too busy ra- fuck. No, <laughs> you said it twice! You're insane! I'm stupid! Uh, yeah, <laughs> okay. Put a beep there. Alright. <clears throat> 
1937, Snow White premiered and blew everyone's mind. Yeah. Yeah, it became the most successful full sound film ever at the time. Wow. Um, Disney got another Academy Award for it. Sure. Uh, of course. Uh, and here's something else. Disney really loved his mother. And so on the success of Snow White, he teamed up with his dad and bought her a new house in 1938. Aww. And she loved it. Uh, but after about a month, she complained to Walt that the house smelled like gas. Oh, jeez. Uh, so Walt sent some repairmen from his studio to fix the issue. The issue was not fixed. She wrote a letter to her daughter describing how great the house was, but also mentioned that the fumes were still hanging in the air. Oh, dear. Uh, a few days later, she was asphyxiated in her sleep oh, and died at 70. Oh, God. Yeah. So... This tragedy kept Walt from sleep for the rest of his life. Oh. His father would also pass on just a few years later. Isn't that terrible? That, will, that went downhill really fast. That's, that's just terrible. Especially after his success with Snow White. Right. And just, we're gonna God. we're gonna see that this guy's attitude and you know, I make jokes about him being Jesus or whatever. Yeah. Um, but this guy's attitude is unshakable. He's like positive all the way through. Um I mean, he has some dark moments, don't get me wrong, but even after this tragedy, you know, he still built Disney World. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Uh, but now, I'm gonna have to pause this, because the cat is banging his fat face against <laughs> the table, and I gotta feed him. Alright, alright, we'll be right back, everybody. Alright, Pickles is fed, coffee's filled, and my shirt is a banana. <laughs> All right. I'm glad you just didn't go become a pancake again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, so when we left Disney, his mother had just died tragically. Oh, um, God. Yeah, I know. Terrible place to leave off. But Pickles had to be fed, you know? Yeah. Uh, we couldn't what? talk about this tragedy because no. Pickle ha Pickles had to get his fucking smashed kibbles. You know, the universe doesn't revolve around the sun. It revolves around Pickles. This fucking does, man. <laughs> anyway. So... It keeps go getting worse, though, for Disney. Okay. So his mother's dead, um, which is terrible. Yeah. Um, and his next two movies, Pinocchio and Fantasia, lost money um, because they came out during... World War II! Oh, oh my gosh! And nobody could be bothered to see movies in Europe because of all the war. <laughs> right. Um, so this actually forced Disney to cut his staff salaries across the board, uh, and they went on strike for five weeks. Oh, wow. Uh, Disney left the country in order to be avo uh, avoid being around when the National Labor Relations Board delivered the sad news that Disney would not reinstate their old salaries. Oh, um, this strike almost gave Dumbo the axe, wow. uh, but it was completed after Disney returned and was again released to critical acclaim. Mm. Uh, oh, God. Oh, God damn it. Beep that. <laughs> I'm on this podcaster's club, and uh, our, they had a... Hey, everyone, what kind of mic do you use? And everyone's <laughs> uh -huh. commenting, and they've got, like, $2,500 mics, and they're oh, like, geez. Oh, look how badass my mic is. I got such a sweet setup. I'm like, I bought a Yeti microphone for $100, and it works <laughs> just fine. And some fucker comes back at me, oh, and no. he's like... He's like, yeah, but it has really terrible ambience. You can hear shit through the walls with it. It's too sensitive. I'm like, well, you're not wrong, but I also didn't spend $2,500 on a mic. Yes, yes. Uh, dick. This strike almost gave Dumbo the axe, but right. it was completed right after Disney returned and was again released to critical acclaim and money flying all over the place. Hmm. Right after this, however, the old U.S. of A. joined the party in World War II. Oh, there it um, is. So Disney started making instructional animations for people who would be building warplanes uh, and stuff <laughs> like that. And he was also responsible for creating propaganda for the war effort using Donald Duck. Whoa! <laughs> um, Der Fuhrer's face. 
a short one an Academy Award, and I have seen it, and it is hilarious. And he made it? And he made That's it. That's amazing. Yeah, actually, most of the propaganda he made was really funny. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that'll come up later. Yeah. Um, but then his next movie was Bambi, uh, and he suffered a loss with that. Oh. Um, you know, he suffered a loss. Fuck, I need to do that. Again. Yeah. So, Disney suffered a loss with his deer-centric Bambi, mm. uh, who also suffered a loss because his mother was shot, oh, and the God. company nearly went bankrupt again. Oh. Uh, but the bank gave them another shot, oh. interestingly enough. <laughs> Unlike Bambi's mom. Unlike Bambi's mom. Yes. They, she only needed one shot. <laughs> so, Disney uh, pretty much stopped producing short films altogether and oh. started producing more features, including live-action films, which were cheaper, of ah. course. Oh. Um, these live-action films might have actually saved the company. Interesting. Uh, so, so in 1940, Disney became a Republican, oh. and six years later started a lovely little organization called the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals. I like the sound of that. Yeah. Now the MPA PIPA. <laughs> now the MPA. PAI was basically a gigantic Joseph McCarthy oh kind God. of thing, but a little less active. Uh, good. Um, it was a conservative movement, go figure, yeah. and stated that its whole cause was to defend the country against communism and fascism. Mm. And this is hilarious to me because that's the kind of thing that would never exist in Hollywood today. That's true. That, yeah. <laughs> See, and the, this organization was there to prevent like communists and socialists from taking over Hollywood. Yeah. We need it now more than yeah. ever. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I mean, I, I don't. I, I don't care about politics. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> But anyway, anyway, so, now, I'm not a huge fan of Ayn Rand, okay. um, but she was a big fan of this organization. Huh. And I stumbled upon a really interesting quote from her while looking into this organization. And here it is. Okay. And I'm going to decide what voice to read this in. I don't know what Ayn Rand sounds like, but I assume it sounds like the devil himself. Oh, God. <laughs> no, just, she it's scares not me. Bad. Her photos are scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, bit. I mean, that's not, that's mean. I'm being, she wouldn't care. Ayn Rand's like, She's a steel all about wall. freedom of speech. So. Yeah. Um, anyway, so here's her quote. <clears throat> the purpose of the communists in Hollywood is not the production of political movies openly advocating communism. Their purpose is to corrupt our moral premises by corrupting non-political movies, by introducing small casual bits, casual, casual, uh, by introducing small casual bits of propaganda into innocent stories, thus making people absorb the basic principles of, principles of collectivism by indirection and implication. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she's saying that... Um, it's not overt. It's not overt. And okay. Like, unless you're looking for it. Sure. Um, so it's sort of like... Um, I, I mean, they do it today. I mean, I, yeah. I, okay, yeah, everybody, yeah. you gotta know, I studied film. We talked all about influence and propaganda and low-key propaganda versus overt propaganda. Um, the kid's got a master's in it. The, yeah, I, I, do have a, <laughs> I do have a master's in that there, film studies. Um, but I was gonna say, um, yeah, no, you're being manipulated from the moment you sit down in that theater seat yeah. to the moment you get up and leave. Um, and it can be for anything, oh, right? Oh, it can be for yeah. anything. I mean, I'm not saying, like, oh, the the the... When you have something, you, you just have to realize films are engineered front to back, like minute by minute, frame sure. by frame. If anything goes against their message, they don't put it in there. Yeah, that's it's just the truth. I mean, the, the movies are just that too makes expensive. Sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, they have control over everything, especially in post now. Yeah. yeah. So basically, Ayn uh -huh. Rand is saying in that quote that if someone has an agenda and is sneaky about it, they have a better shot at convincing people of an idea by politicizing little things that are not political until suddenly everything is political. Hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that's what she's saying. And okay. she, has, she has a lot of material on that, which is that's very cool, actually. Yeah. Again, not a fan of Ayn Rand, um, but... She has some things. Obviously an important sure. writer. Right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, 
This organization, this little communist hunting organization, was disbanded in 1975. Okay. Um, but Disney testified during the Red Scare and named a few people in the industry that he knew to be communists. <laughs> uh, very old-fashioned kind of American, this man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, in 1949, Disney built a railroad in his backyard and rode around in a tiny train. <laughs> in 1950. <laughs> I told you Trey would come back. Yeah. <laughs> Picture him like scrunched over with his knees That's next exactly to his chin. That's exactly what it looks like. Go, there are photos. Oh, wow. Anyway, so in 1950, Disney released Cinderella. Ah. Uh, it had been eight years since the Disney company had released an animated film uh, because they were doing live action in order to save on costs. Uh -huh. uh, but it was a huge success. Um, and Disney wasn't too involved in that one, though, because he was busy making patriotic live action films and visiting theme parks. That's oh, right. No. We're there. Oh. Disney had noticed that a lot of theme parks were kind of gross. <laughs> People smoked all over the place. And it seemed like only the kids were having fun. Yeah. Um, but they were having fun on rusty slides oh, and God. dangerous rickety rides. Oh, so in 1952, he requested zoning permission to build a theme park near his studio. Mm. Long story short, he gets together a group of people called Imagineers and sends them to theme parks all over the country to find out what's wrong with them. Wow. In 1954, he starts construction of this place called Disneyland and opens the doors the next year. Wow. Yeah, he built Disneyland in a year. Okay, that's that's kind of amazing. It and is just amazing. That he'd send out the Imagineers to see what's wrong with his competitors. Yeah. That's that's really cool. Well, and I kind of want to... We should stop on that for real quick okay. because this is this is a man who I mean and we'll find more about this when we get into the actual construction of the park or whatever sure but this is a man who cared about user experience up front that was it that was what that he was cared about. That was the number one thing. That was the number one thing, mm. was making sure people had a memorable experience. Yeah. And that's why people have such emotional connections to Disney and Disney World uh, today, because they've, it's been engineered to be a memorable, crazy, crazy place. We'll sure. get there. Okay. Um, but anyway, when Disneyland opened, it had five different themed areas. There was Main Street USA, which was literally a replica of a street from his hometown. Hmm. Uh, then there was Adventureland, Frontierland, Fantasyland, and Tomorrowland. Those names kind of speak for themselves. You sure. <laughs> uh, 3.6 million people visited in the first year. Wow. Money, money, money. Yeah. <laughs> Disney gets into television and starts the Mickey Mouse Club, which, if you don't know, is a kid's show with all kinds of weird stuff happening on it. <laughs> yep. uh, he also produced a miniseries about Davy Crockett. The theme song basically went yes. uh, viral, yeah. causing Disney to start his own record company called Disneyland Red. Records. Mm. I just want to pause and reflect a bit here. Okay. In 1928, the first Mickey Mouse short came out. In yes. 1937, just about 10 years later, Snow White was released. Sure. And in 1954, Disney's got a theme park. Wow. So we're talking about 26 years, multiple failures, uh, betrayals, bankruptcies, failed moves, and all the rest. Oh. Um, but in the space of those 14 years between 1937 and 1954, Disney became an absolute sensation. Yeah. Which is crazy. Probably the equivalent of like a viral personality we might find today. Yeah. Um, I, wait, so... Jeez. <laughs> I know. It's pretty amazing. It, it is. Um, so in 1955, and we'll, yeah. just, we'll just move on, um, Disney teamed up with Werner von Braun. Oh, <laughs> I know that name. An ex-Nazi German rocket scientist. Um, and I mean ex-Nazi Germany, not ex-Nazi. Um, was he a Nazi? I don't... I don't know. Well, he... Let's look it up! I, I'm pretty sure he was. Wait, so t tell us... Uh, Tell us a story, James, while I Google this. I think we got him here in Operation Paperclip when he brought over a bunch of Nazis and then gave yes. them new names and then pretended they weren't Nazis just so they could work for us. Uh, yes. Operation that... Paperclip, people, look it up. <laughs> well, who else did they bring over, anyway? Uh, that's the big one. I don't, I don't remember any others offhand. He was a member of the Nazi party. Yep. Uh, he was an SS officer. 
Oh, but he was arrested by the Gestapo in 1944. Interesting. Oh, so he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Killed all those people in London with those V1s and V2s. Yeah, he's a but... good. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like he did that designed rockets, uh, the V1 and the V2. Yeah. Um, and uh, of course the U.S. stole those. Yes. Um, from the collapsed Nazi regime. Uh, and uh, anyway, so. Oh, real quick. Okay. If you want to hear a hilarious short song about Werner von Braun, look up the song Werner von Braun by Tom Lear. It's a, it's, he's a comedian who plays the piano and then sings about politics, and it's an amazing short song. Oh, that sounds really funny, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Okay, so anyway, Disney teams up with this ex-Nazi Germany rocket scientist. Okay. Right. And yes. In order to make a show. Okay. Uh, called Man in Space. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not a show. It's an episode of a show. Okay. Uh, but that same year, he releases another animated film, uh, Lady and the Tramp, which oh, everyone oh. loved. Oh, yeah. Do you like that one? I don't know. I haven't <laughs> seen it. <laughs> uh, and then in 1959, he dropped the bombshell known as Sleeping Beauty. Wow. Yeah. Mm. In 61, he released 101 Dalmatians. In 63, he released The Sword and the Stone. Just look at all these classics. Yeah. They just keep coming. Wow. Um, and in 1964, he produced Mary Poppins, and it was just a smash hit. Yeah. Of course, the author of the book series hated it. Oh. Everyone knows that story. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, the author of the book series hated the movie and was like a big problem throughout. There's a movie about it, which is, um, yeah, actually. Interesting. Uh, they didn't even plan to invite her to the premiere. Oh, <laughs> until she made one guy cave out of, like, shame. Yeah. That's what she said. She had to shame someone into getting her uh, allowed to go to her own <laughs> wow. uh, thing. So anyway. Oh, um, <laughs> and decades after she's dead, um, they made a movie about her liking it. Hooray! <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Saving Mr. Banks, everyone. Oh. Um, yeah. 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 In 1965, Disney announced the development of something called Walt Disney World, uh, which was another massive theme park set to be built in Orlando. Hmm. In fact, the park was so big, it literally contained a larger version of Disneyland in one fucking section of the Jeez. place. Now, the main attraction here uh, was what was called Epcot, or Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Ah, okay. Now, I have been to Disney World because my parents are rich, <laughs> <laughs> and this is probably the coolest part of it. Yeah. Um, it's a section of the park that will never be finished. Basically, oh. uh, they put together rides uh, and things that showcase where tech is today. Interesting. Um, where it was in the past and where it had, uh, where the heads at Disney think it might be in the future. Yeah. It might also become a scarier kind of place when we develop super intelligent AI. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, through all of this, Disney is described as painfully shy. Really? Yeah. This is the guy who's doing all these amazing things, and he's shy. Huh. He's also got a serious problem with the cancer sticks, um, which he was embarrassed about. Yeah. Um, he's described, actually, in all kinds of ways. Um, some people call him a completely cynical and wealth-obsessed businessman who manipulated people into buying his shit because they had an emotional attachment to the stories he was telling, mm. which is true. Yeah. Uh, not saying he was cynical, but that's what he was doing. I mean, he was taking these old folk tales and turning them into animated features that had the, his own little spin on them. Sure. Um, and, you know, they're still doing it today, so there's that happen. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, which is funny. They're kind of doing it to themselves. What do you mean? Like, they're remaking all of these live-action versions of their own cartoons, which were basically first features. Oh, that's of, true. Yeah, I, yeah. I see. So they're kind of, they're like recycling. Yeah. Which is no. interesting. Um, I don't approve of it. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, they call him a cynical businessman or whatever, and other sure. people just describe him as a do-gooder American who really loved his country. Okay. Um, 
so a lot of people had a problem with how he is portrayed in history, uh, or I'm sorry, how he has portrayed history in some of his exhibits, uh -oh. um, calling them what amounted to revisionist history based on his stubborn optimism. Okay. Right, well, so he presented, so <laughs> like, Christopher Columbus is a good guy, oh. uh, which they've changed. They've changed it. Okay, that's good. Um, but, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're going to get him later, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, <laughs> uh, so the other thing is uh, that Walt Disney, and it's really hard to find info on this because Wikipedia has pretty much scrubbed it clean. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> um, I was looking for sources. Sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Walt Disney has been accused of being anti-Semitic. Oh, so there it is again. Yep. Um, now, I have to be very, very careful here because Walt Disney was perfect. Yes. Let's be honest. He never did anything wrong ever. Come yeah, on. Course. He even suggests that he is not the highest div divine being ever to grace the planet. It's just plain madness. It's um, but we here, we talk about dead people value the truth above all else. Indeed. And so we must make it known that we will face these vile accusations directly in the face and deny them completely without even considering the fact that Walt Disney was just a man with the ability to make mistakes. <laughs> Dumb. That's so dumb. It is Nobody can dumb. take make a mistake. That's important. Not Walt Disney. No. Okay. So Art Babbitt. All right. Uh huh. It was uh, one of Disney's best animators. Okay. Uh, and he claimed that quote in the immediate years before we entered the war, there was a small but fiercely loyal and now supposed legal following of the Nazi Party. Oh. There were many open meetings that anybody could attend, and I wanted to see what was going on myself. On more than one occasion, I observed Walt Disney and Gunther Lessing, his lawyer, mm. uh, there, uh, along with the pro okay. prominent Nazi-afflicted Hollywood personalities. Oh. Disney was going to these meetings all the time. Whoa. Yeah. Um, the meeting Art is talking about uh, here are the meetings of the German-American Bund, okay. which is also called the American Nazi Party. Oh, God. If you want to see something horrifying, Google the German-American Bund. It's just Americans... Uh, with swastikas oh, and, an Amer and American flags dressed in Nazi regalia. It's horrifying. Wow. Um, yeah, and it, oh, another thing is it was huge. There were a lot of Nazis right, in, yeah. in America. Sure. Um, but just saying, just, just saying, maybe go take a look. Um, yeah. Anyway, so uh, remember, these are just the words of one man, Art Bab Bab what was his name? Babbitt. Babbling, really. Because it's meaningless. <laughs> yes, exactly. They're just the words of one man and need not be trusted. <laughs> no. Walt Disney was a saint across the board, and in no way are we implying that the man might have come under the influence of some very bad ideas, as we all have. I mean, all of us except Disney, he was no man, he was a god. Indeed. And yes. So, Disney also hosted the famous Nazi movie maker Lenny Riefenstahl when she came to America to promote a film. Oh, dear. Uh, this is the woman who made Triumph of the Will. Oh, dear. Yeah, a Nazi propaganda movie that was so well composed it even played in America. Holy shit. Yeah, um, and I've seen the movie. Uh, let me tell you something, guys. Propaganda, when it's like on the nose and mm -hmm. you're going, what if I didn't, what if I was taking this seriously? Yeah. It's extremely convincing. Sure. Yeah, I mean, when you can watch the propaganda from the Soviet Union uh, the oh, early, yeah. during yeah. the revolution, all that stuff. Um, I will tell you what, if you go for one second Maybe they're right. They got you. Yeah. yeah and they will convince you with that movie. Yeah. If, you, if you're like, ah, oh, this is just propaganda, they're not going to get you. Yeah. You know, you're just going to be like, that was kind of silly. But yeah. if you go, maybe they have a point, you lose pretty yeah. much. Wow. Um, huh. So, and Lenny Riefel just said all her film, Triumph of the Will, was, I mean, it was huge. But yeah. I, um, and she's she's famous in the film world nowadays for being a complete visionary. And Hitler loved her. And I'm sure, sure. Uh, she loved Hitler. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> so, uh, anyway, while visiting, Lenny is uh, said to have made the quip, quote, I can't do a German accent. I'm mm. not even going to try. Uh, it is gratifying to learn how thoroughly proper Americans distance themselves from the smear campaigns of the Jews. 
Ah. So she was saying that Disney had done a great job of keeping himself from being involved in the riffraff down at the bottom. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. It's not only an anti-Semitic statement, it's a classist yeah. statement. Yeah, okay. Um, even back then, though, people were pissed off that Disney would let Reef and Stahl stay with him uh, because she was visiting just after Kristallnacht. Oh, God. James, why don't you tell everyone what Kristallnacht was? Well, they turned a million statues into crystals. Oh, my God. Okay, well, Kristallnacht, I think, it just it basically means the night of broken glass. Hmm. Uh, and it happens uh, in 1938 in Germany and Austria and a few other places where a bunch of angry Germans and Austrians just uh, did a bunch of mean things to Jews living in the area, like smash. If it was a Jewish-owned stone, they or st Jewish-owned store, they'd smash the windows, thus the night of broken glass. Got it. I think there were mobs beating people up. Yeah. I, there might have been killings. I don't even know. It was just a really shitty thing to do. Yeah. And uh, just kind of showed the the political climate in the area. Yeah. I mean, they had eaten Hitler's words up. Yeah. And they now viewed the Jews as the enemy. Yeah. And people are seeing this from America, and then you've got Disney inviting Riefenstahl to stay with him. I mean, that, that's a red flag. It's a red flag. I mean, it's, it's so hard to, to, to look at this objectively. Right. right. Because probably Disney saw her as a legendary filmmaker. At the time, the Nazis weren't like the evil. Well, well the war hadn't even started. The yet. war hadn't started. They Nobody really knew too much. They just knew that fascism was kind of scary. Yeah. Um, there weren't, you know, there weren't reports of like, you know, fucking genocide yet or anything right. like that. Well, so, and also communism was on the rise too. And a lot of people were more scared of communism that's than true. fascism. So. Yeah. In it's fact, they, a lot of people saw Germany as standing up to the communists. Oh, exactly, um, yeah. And so, since they hated the communists more than fascism, it made sense to be like, okay, they're not so bad, I guess. Sure. Right. And so that's why, that's where it gets complicated. Yeah. You know? It's like you could call Walt Disney a Nazi sympathizer, and even if he did go to the meetings, which, you know, I'm inclined to believe he did, there's no way that guy was just making that Right. Up. And Meryl Streep said he was, he yeah. went to the meetings. Things. Um, but uh, it, it's like, it's so hard to just say that, like, the guy probably just was around the wrong people sure i mean that 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 was could have been it um well and and you said earlier like he he started that that whole program that was basically mccarthyism yeah he's a patriotic american right. and that can so easily as we've seen <laughs> be sucked into this whole right-wing fascism thing of the only way to save this nation is to protect it from all these other you know immigrants or whatever right i mean you you pick your you, you pick, you your pick the bad guy the, but like yeah. I, I mean america was scared of communism because they'd seen what had happened to russia for sure i mean people were getting fucking killed by the thousands the whole royal family was just butchered i know so you're hearing these stories about you know the red death and mm -hmm. the white death and all that stuff or the white terror red terror yeah um and you're hearing all this and you're going man those communists are terrible and then, you know, there's this party that comes along in Germany. It's like, well, communists are actually evil, and we're going to stand up against them. And they start marching in the streets, and they're like, we're going to take out the communists. Yeah. And you're like, I, that's a good thing, right? And, you know, you're kind of worried. You're like, they're, they're a bit strong-armed, right? Like, who yeah. knows they're going to go after them? But you don't yet know how bad it's going to get. So when to go back in time and do either two of, one of two things. Say that Walt Disney never fucking thought about it, mm -hmm. or to say that he was totally for it and should have you know been shot or something like that. Both yeah. are wrong. Yeah. Um, because the, 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 the world's scene did not look like it does today. For sure. Um, so I don't, I don't agree with what, with 
with people going back and cleaning this up about Disney. For sure. Well, and the other thing, kind of kind of like that, what you were saying about the, the world today being so different, is the, the Crystal Knocked, a bunch of mobs beating up a few Jews would not stand out to people. Because, first of all, anti-Semitism has been around in Europe forever. Yeah, it <laughs> Like, has. it happens all the time in history. And also, this is America in the 40s. We still have fucking Jim Crow laws. Yeah. Like, racism is nothing, nothing new, really, to yeah. so many Americans. That's right. So... That's not condoning it, of course. No, of course not. But it's it, just they didn't see it the way we do. When you look at history, and I'm not an expert. James kind of is. He has a degree in it. Um, but when you look at history, and if, if you take it seriously, um, it's sort of like watching propaganda, right? Yeah. You can either sit there and go, they're right. And then, you know, listen to them blindly. Or you can sit there and go, they're wrong, and then just smirk at them instead of listening at all. Yeah. What you can do, though, is, you know, with propaganda, is look at it and look at it how it's persuading you objectively. Sure. Um, and how it could be persuasive and that sort of thing. Sort of like you have to look at history with that kind of balance, where it's like you look at it and you go, I don't know who was right, I don't know who was wrong, it's probably more complicated than my brain can make out. Yeah. I'm going to learn what I can. Yeah. And, you know, you know, you don't always have to take a side in history, which... No. That kind of reminds me of our Brigham World Young War episode. <laughs> <laughs> World War One, Yeah. That kind of reminds me of our Brigham Young episode, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it's like Brigham Young was an asshole. He did a lot of bad yeah. shit. But he also did some good shit. Sure. Um, and he built Salt Lake City, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, um, it's 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 complicated. Well, that's... Yeah, exactly. We If there's one theme we, we come back to, like, every episode, it's that history is not black and white. Yeah. And I know we just moved into this from Nazism. <laughs> and, I, okay, maybe not Nazism, but most things in history are, like, that gray area where there's good and evil all over the place. And yeah. it's... I think it's dangerous to draw those hard lines, like you were saying. Right. So, I'm not sitting here saying that Disney was a Nazi. No. There are a lot of people who are saying that he was and had sympathies. Sure. Um, but that is... Uh, I don't I don't like trying to whitewash it, and I don't like um, trying to blow it up. Yeah. You know, yeah. make it a bigger thing than it was. Because um, he's not Henry Ford. He's not oh, you know, yeah, inspiring not, Hitler. It's not Henry Ford. I mean, there are gradations here, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, it's just complicated. Don't, don't paint them all with the same brush. So anyway, rant over, discussion over. We need to keep going. Yes. Um, so people were pissed that uh, Lenny Riefenstahl stayed with him because it was just... Oh, yeah, That's yeah, where yeah. we were. Um, anyway, it's also worth mentioning that Disney held some vaguely like national socialist views on the future, which Ooh. is interesting. Um, when describing Epcot, he quipped, um, there will be no landowners and therefore no voting control. People mm. will rent houses instead of buying them and at modest rentals. There will be no retirees. Everyone must be employed. And this is pretty much what fascist Italy and Nazi Germany yeah, was up to. Sure. Um, on a, you know, country Sim level. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the other thing that Disney pretty much ran was that pretty, uh, Disney pretty much ran Disney World and it still kind of runs like it was its own little state. Oh. Uh, the people employed there basically have to live there and are not allowed to form unions, face oh. strict and frankly weird requirements, uh, are paid as little as $9 an hour, oh, and would of course lose their place to stay in Disney World if they left. Yeah. Uh, now with the low, low age comes the perk of being able to visit any Disney park for free and be, bring along any family members you want. Uh, uh. But still, what does this sound like? Um, it sounds like a cult. Yeah. I mean, the Church of Scientology does the exact same it shit. Does. Members there work all day and get paid pennies. Maybe you know, $9 isn't 
pennies, but it's same, similar. It's not a lot. Um, <laughs> they get to stay in the church, and they have access to all kinds of contacts, you know, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, there's more. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, in Disney World, employees are not allowed to wear any jewelry, dye their hair, have long fingernails, and men are not allowed to have long hair or beards. Oh. So we're out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're also trained to smile all the time. Oh, God. Both of the theme parks are, like, weirdly secretive, and Disney culture itself is just kind of, like, a little off, you know? Yeah. Uh, for example, in 1989, Disney nearly sued three daycare centers who painted Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, and Goofy on their walls? Like, what, what the fuck? Who cares? Yeah, and these are daycare centers. <laughs> exactly. They're taking care of kids. Yeah. Um, the, and, and what better way to advertise? That's too. your audience. You didn't have to pay for it. I don't get it. Okay, anyway. Uh, never mind. So they probably, they, well, I shouldn't say probably. They did also block the actress, um who voiced Snow White from doing any future work huh. with her voice in order to preserve the illusion of Snow White. Well, what do you mean illusion? So like, Disney was quoted as saying he wanted to preserve... Oh, I'm not going to be able to remember it. It was like, basically he wanted to preserve the mystique of the character. Oh, weird. Yeah. So, so if you know, her voice was heard in any other character, it would be, oh, that's, that's Snow, Snow White. White. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't want that. Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, she was also banned from doing interviews on the radio. Oh, come on. So, couldn't use her voice at all. Oh. Um, Disney built a secret apartment in Cinderella's castle um, in the park, and it's uh, inner, it's um, dex decked out. Yeah. And there's a clock in the room that never moves past 11.59, and you can't stay in the room unless you win a lottery. Oh, okay. So, the clock that never moves past 11.59 is they don't want, you know, the spell never oh, breaks. Cinderella. Right, 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 right. Cinderella. Yeah. Spell breaks at midnight. Uh, but there's also, like, a secret employee city under the park, and everyone knows okay, this. Yeah. Um, so it's not news to most people, I'm sure. sure. Um, none of the American flags in the park are exactly right. Wait, They're all missing one star and one stripe, what? so they don't have to fly at half-mass when a tragedy happens. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah, this is to keep people from thinking oh. about tragedies when they're at Disney World. Wow. Uh, employees aren't allowed to tell park visitors, I don't know, in response to a question. Like, never? Uh, like, never. Oh, jeez. There's an abandoned water park rotting somewhere in Disney World closed down for reasons undisclosed. Okay. Uh, the wait time clocks at the bus stations are all wrong. They'll, they're set to exaggerate how long it'll take a bus to arrive so you get all happy and upbeat uh, when it beats the clock display wow. what the time's uh, yeah. the clock. Um, a park guest got killed by a faulty ride in 1999 and the Disney employees had the scene cleaned up before the police arrived. Holy shit. There's a picture of Mickey Mouse being arrested attached to that one. Uh, there's a secret <laughs> yeah, police that's force. There's a secret police force Wait. in Disneyland. Okay. Uh, which is not, a, you know, official state police or anything like that. Sure. There's a secret character dressed in a ghillie suit that stalks around the Animal Kingdom. They use wow. actual bones, human bones, in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Wha They're still there. Oh. Uh, oh, and the Epcot ride, uh, the place, or it's not a ride, the Epcot Park, yeah. was actually supposed to be a utopia where people actually lived and worked. Oh. So it wasn't just a park. It was supposed to be something else. Like um, a whole other world. Yeah. But that's probably a good stopping point for Walt Disney. So I vote we take a break, and when we come back, we'll be talking about Salah Adin Yusuf's adult life. And we are back to We Talk About Dead People, and when we left off, we were talking about uh, Walt Disney's adult life, and now we're going to be going into Saladin's adult life. Get ready. Ah. Uh, I mean, this is a long episode already. This, this may be a record breaker for yeah, us. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. But two fascinating people. Okay. So let's go! So, back to Saladin. Okay. So remember that Saladin is fighting under his uncle, General Shurka, 
who in turn is serving the Zangud leader, Nuruddin. Right, he's a mercenary. Right, pretty okay. much. Uh, now, the year is 1163, and there's a bit of a clusterfuck going down in Egypt. Oh, no! Uh, the ruler of Egypt, this guy named Al-Aidid, is 14 years old, so he has no idea what the fuck he's doing. What? He's ruling Egypt uh, at 14? Yeah, I think his dad died or something. Oh, my God! Uh, so his viziers... Is that... That's how you say it. I think it's vizier. Vizier? You're right. <laughs> yeah. So his viziers are having kind of a power struggle to see who can really pull the strings behind Al-Aidid and actually run the kingdom. Oh, okay, so they're trying to turn him into a little puppet. Yeah, it's kind of like if Trump and Hillary were both elected vice president and the president was a 14-year-old kid. <laughs> that's perfect. Yep. Uh, so there'd be a lot of fighting and power struggle behind the scenes. Of course. Obviously. Uh, and so that's what's happening here. Uh, one of the top vizier, vizier, viziers, uh, viziers, <laughs> uh, this guy named Shawar, gets in it and it gets in his head that uh, the best way to make himself ruler of Egypt would be to blah, 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 blah. Can you talk? No, I can't. Okay, so the best way to make himself ruler of Egypt, yes, would be to to go to Nuruddin and the Zangids for military aid. Smart! Well, Nuruddin likes this idea. Go figure. <laughs> so he sends his general Shirka, Saladin, and an army to go help that vizier Shawar. Okay. Well, things actually go pretty well. Uh, Shawar is able to claim his position as head advisor to the leader Al-Adid, and then he basically tells Shirka and Saladin, Thanks for your help. You can go now. We're all done here. Okay. Well, Shirka isn't very happy with this and basically says, Yo, dude, Egypt now belongs to Nuruddin because we helped you take power. Uh-huh. Anyways, then a war happens. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, Shawar gets some of his guys together and then allies with the hated Crusaders Whoa. to actually kick Shirka and Nuruddin's troops out of Egypt. Wow. And it, my friend is my friend. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it doesn't work, though. And if my friend is my friend. And if me and my enemy is my my friend. <laughs> I fucked that up. Anyway. <laughs> So Shawar loses and gets executed. Oh, um, okay. So now it's 1169, and General Shirka is kind of the head advisor to the Egyptian leader Al-Adid. Okay. Which makes makes things complicated because he's also a general serving Nuruddin who is back in Syria. Okay. Uh, well, Shirka doesn't stay here long because he's super fat and dies of indigestion. <laughs> <laughs> you can die of indigestion? Yep. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, so Shirka's fat and dies. Yeah, and he's the uncle of Saladin, okay. remember. So guess who's in line now? Okay. Saladin. Finally. Yes, at last. At so Saladin last. is now the head advisor to the kid in Egypt. Uh, he, he, but he's technically not the ruler. Got it. He's yeah. just kind of running things for this little kid. And at the same time, he's okay. still subject to Nur ad-Din back in Syria. That's complicated. Yeah. Uh, but then Al-Adid dies, or is poisoned, according to some accounts. And Assassin's Creed! <laughs> uh, and now in the year 1171, Saladin is now Sultan of Egypt. Wow. And he does a lot of good things like build schools and libraries and crushes a few rebellions. Okay. Uh, he also leads a few small attacks on various crusader villages and forts. Okay, so he's at war with the crusaders. Yes. Okay. Uh, but, but... Uh, remember that Saladin is still technically a subject to the ruler Nuruddin up in Syria. Oh, okay. And this doesn't look good. Got it. The two men really admired each other, and Nuruddin was a mentor and friend to Saladin, but Saladin might be getting a little too strong. Mm -hmm. And it starts to really look like uh, that soon student will turn against mentor, and Saladin's kingdom and Nuruddin's kingdom might be engaged in a bitter war. Oh, fun. Thankfully for them, though, the Crusader, sta the crusader states are kind of in the way. 
Uh, so Nuruddin gathers a big army and tells Saladin to do the same. Okay. The plan is to attack the Crusaders from both the north and the south, forcing them to fight a two-front war. Well, that's a pretty good plan. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the war begins, uh, but after taking a few forts, Saladin decides to abandon the campaign, defy the orders of Nuruddin, and return home back to Egypt to crush another rebellion and take care of some things. Uh, so did he quit because he didn't want the war, or did he quit because he needed to take care of a rebellion? Uh, he quit because he had to take, over, uh, take care of a rebellion. Okay. Uh, yes. But this kind of pisses Nuruddin off, because now it's not a two-front war with the Crusaders. Right, you know? right. Uh, Nur Saladin did send Nuruddin an elephant as a gift, <laughs> but it's really starting to look like the two are going to have some epic final showdown. All right! So the year is 1174 now, and Nuruddin is preparing for another war against the Crusaders. Uh, but he also gathers more troops than necessary. Oh! And it looks like he's gonna go straight for Egypt and Saladin. Oh no! It has come! Yeah. The war between the two giants is here! Alright! Then Nuruddin dies of a fever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on! Yep. Oh, man. Uh, so Nuruddin's kingdom is thrown into feuding between various rivals, and also now Saladin is completely politically independent and looking to take over the land of his former master. Oh! Uh, Syria is the obvious choice. Obviously. Uh, so Saladin doesn't yet really have the strength to take on the Crusaders alone. Right. First, he has to take Syria. Okay. Uh, so seeing an opportunity, Saladin handpicks 700 horsemen and then rides from Egypt all the all the way to Damascus and Syria. Okay. Uh, and he picks up some allies on the way. All right. Uh, the city of Damascus is actually pretty happy to see Saladin because they like the guy. So they let him in. They let him in, and now Saladin controls Egypt, Damascus, and much of Syria. Okay. So if you can picture it in your head, he's starting to control all the land around the Crusaders. Okay. Which doesn't make the Crusaders happy. Well, of course not. <laughs> this sounds a little like uh, Bismarck. Yeah, it kind of does. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, but Saladin wants all of Syria, and there are still various independent cities that are defying him. Right. Uh, so he starts fighting the, fighting these guys. And in one battle, Saladin and his army started to lose really badly, so Saladin the, uh, did the only wise thing and got on a horse and charged directly into the opposing general's bodyguard unit. Whoa! Uh, this so panicked the opposing army that they all began to rout, and Saladin barely won. Whoa, wow, that's Kind of cool. a badass. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Saladin goes uh, about taking over various Syrian towns, and all seems well and fine until one day, uh, May 11th, 1175 to be exact, uh -huh. 13 assassins enter Saladin's camp and try to kill him and almost get away with it except one of Saladin's generals sees them and raises the alarm. Oh no! Yeah. So Saladin survives and the 13 assassins are killed and I'm guessing that general got a decent bonus. I would think so! <laughs> uh, so Saladin was kind of shook but by this, but hey, important leaders often are the targets of assassinations. Right. This could not be some part of a much larger conspiracy. Could it? Mm. Well, Saladin doesn't think so. So he just keeps on taking over Syria. He's finally able to subdue the mighty city of Aleppo and the Abbasid Caliph, Caliph and over in Baghdad, who are another big political power, praise Saladin for his actions and proclaim, proclaim him ruler of Egypt and Syria. Okay. So now things look good for old Sally. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. So he's got the political backing and the military power to finally take care of the Crusaders and drive them into the sea. Hooray! Yes. 
Uh, well, one day, Saladin was resting in one of his tents when this crazed man comes sprinting into the tent and tries to drive a knife into Saladin's face. Whoa! Uh, Saladin managed to deflect the attack and the knife sank into his own helmet. Oh my gosh, that's a sharp knife. Yeah. Uh, the assassin was then apprehended by guards and killed. Uh, but these assassination attempts are pointing to something pretty big. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, it turns out the, that these assassins were members of THE Assassins. Oh! Uh, yes, there was an organization known as the Assassins. And they were called the Hashashin or something. Yeah, I was okay. just going to get to that. Oh, so, sorry, sorry. Oh, no, you're good. So the Assassins were uh, an Isla Islamic secret order that used espionage, deceit, and assassination to achieve their political goals and independence. So basically the Clintons. <laughs> So the assassins are, they're usually called the Nizari or the Hashashin. And Hashashin is actually where we get the English words assassin, assassinate, etc. Okay, okay. Uh, so these assassins really don't like Saladin because they see him as a threat to their independence. Right. But now Saladin's pissed because they tried to kill him. So he immediately <laughs> begins a campaign against the assassin fortresses in the mountains. I remember this level from Assassin's Creed. Is there really a level with yeah, this? Yeah, you fight him off or oh, something. Oh, that's cool. I don't think he's there. Uh, is this the first Assassin's Creed yeah, game? Oh, that's cool. Oh. Uh, so Saladin even agreed to a truce with the Crusaders Whoa. so that he could focus solely on the Assassins. Okay. Uh, and things go well for him. He, he marches his army into the Assassin-controlled mountains in Syria in the year 1175. Okay. But Saladin knew that the Assassins would not fight him in open combat, but would use assassination instead. Yeah, of course. They're Assassins. <laughs> yes. uh, so each night when camp was set, Saladin had a ring of lit oil lamps placed around his tent to illuminate the near vicinity. He also played guard. He also placed guards like everywhere. Okay. Uh, and he also placed chalk and cinders all over the ground around his tent so that uh, his footsteps would be heard loudly, uh, and he could hear anyone coming to his tent. Right. Right. Kind of cool. Yeah. Well, one Smart. night. Yeah. One night, Saladin's whole camp is asleep except for the night guards, and one of the guards notices a small spark glowing on the adjacent mountain. He watches as the faraway spark slowly descends the hill and then disappears near the bottom. Hmm. He figures it's nothing, though. Definitely not. After Definitely all. not aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just staying in the mountains directly under the fortresses of an organization literally called the Assassins. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, a little bit later, but still during the night, Saladin wakes up and realizes there's somebody else in the tent. Oh, shit! He looks up and sees a shadowy figure outlined by the oil lamps outside. Oh. The shadowy figure leaves the tent, and Saladin, Saladin then sees a dagger jabbed into the ground right next to his floor. The dagger is poisoned, and at the tip of it is a note that basically says Saladin, tells Saladin to get his army and get the fuck out, or next time this dagger will be in Saladin's throat. Oh my god! Well... <laughs> Saladin lets out a scream. Who and the, wouldn't? <laughs> yeah. And the guards rush in but are unable to find the assassin. The next day, Saladin and his army pack up camp and haul ass out of the assassin's mountains. <laughs> I would think so. Saladin then decides to use diplomacy rather than military <laughs> might to subdue the assassins. And it actually works. Oh. Uh, the assassins end up allying with Saladin and later give him troops to use in his campaigns. Well, that's nice. Yeah. They're friends. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but now, now Saladin is in a good spot. He's got Syria and Egypt under his control. The Abbasids in Iraq support Saladin, and now the assassins are trying to kill him. <laughs> yep. It's time to take on the Crusaders. Woohoo! So Saladin returns to Cairo, starts building, uh, starts some building projects, and then gets his army together and invades Christian territory. 
Saladin's army is able to pillage a bunch of villages and defeat some smaller crusader armies. Uh, they even make it to the gates of Jerusalem, but don't try to siege the city because it's not the right time. Uh, why isn't it the right time? Uh, well, the ruler of the crusader kingdom of Jerusalem, King Baldwin IV, is mounting together a big-ass Christian army to take on Saladin. I see. Saladin tries to avoid battle, but his forces are ambushed by the crusaders on November 25th, 1177, and the result is just a slaughter. Oh. Uh, the Christian knights just roll over and cut down almost all of Saladin's army. 20,000 of Saladin's 26,000 troops were killed that day. Wow! And the result was a total Christian victory. Wow. Saladin himself only barely escaped by jumping onto a really fast camel <laughs> riding all the way back to Egypt. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Saladin was not discouraged by this defeat and began another campaign against the Crusaders the next year in 1178. So there's a couple of years of fighting. Okay. Saladin managed to defeat a couple smaller Crusader armies, and he took a few fortresses. Uh, and seem, uh, things looked favorable for Saladin, but in 1180, King Baldwin IV offered a peace agreement, and Saladin was forced to agree to it because there were some bad harvests uh -huh. back, back home, and also some rebellions, and he had to deal with those things. Also, he had lost 20,000 men. Right, yes. <laughs> Uh, so Saladin goes back to Egypt and takes care of some domestic things like subduing a bunch of angry Bedouins and inspecting the banks of the Nile. <laughs> what does that look like? I don't know. All, all the article said was he, he thought about taking the holy pilgrimage to Mecca, but instead just looked at the Nile banks. <laughs> okay. Uh, yep. Then, in 1181, things in Mesopotamia got a little heated, and the kingdom of the Zangids started building up their infrastructure and military in order to defy Saladin. But he used to lead them, right? Well, he or... used to... Nuruddin used to lead them. Right, and he was under... He was under Nuruddin. Right, right, yeah. okay. Um, yeah, so they... they it's, it's kind of this back-and-forth agreement with Saladin and the got Zangids. It. Sometimes they support him, sometimes they fight him. Right now, they're fighting him. Okay. Uh, so he gets his, his army together and heads up to Mesopotamia and Syria in order to secure his holdings there. Uh, he does pillage some crusader land on the way, though, which doesn't help relations with the crusaders, because, you know, they're all supposed to be at peace. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, Saladin gets to Mesopotamia and conquers several important cities, uh, all of which I have not named, because <laughs> <laughs> they're not too important right now. Okay. Uh, he also cut taxes of a lot of the local inhabitants so that they uh, they start to love him more than any of the other rulers vying for power. Oh, okay. Saladin famously said, The most miserable rulers are those whose per... per <laughs> <laughs> you can't... <laughs> I don't know, pers uh, Try again. <laughs> okay, the most miserable rulers are those whose purses are fat and their people thin. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so he settles affairs here and keeps control of Syria. This is all very long and complicated, by the way, but I had to shorten it because there's just too much to cover. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, James said it earlier, but he had to rewrite this episode twice because it was just so much shit. It's so confusing. It's uh, very complicated. And the articles I was working off of are all out of order chronologically. Oh, it's yeah. just a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the Crusaders are kind of pissed at Saladin, so they start raiding the Muslim lands around Damascus. Because remember, he had raided some of their lands. Right, right. Uh, so when Saladin heard about this, he responded, Let them. Whilst they knock down villages, we are taking cities. When we come back, we shall have all the more strength to fight them. Kind of mm, cool. Interesting. Uh, then Saladin continued to take over Aleppo, which had previously been subject to him, but then it rebelled, blah, 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 so we took it. Okay. But the Zangids of Mazul, Mazul uh, were still a pretty big threat to Saladin, so he started a campaign against them. Uh, in the end, Saladin was able to quell opposition in the area by stating, that all, stating to all these rival Islamic leaders, uh, fuck, 
Uh, in the end, Saladin was able to quell opposition in the area by telling all the uh, rival Islamic leaders that basically their true enemy is the Crusaders. Right. right? So let's all work together. Okay, now that sounds like Bismarck again. It does. Yeah, yeah like, we're all Germans. We gotta fight the Austrians or the French or whatever. Yeah. Better so, do it together. Uh, Saladin also promised that if they stopped fighting him and actually start supporting him, he would capture Jerusalem, he would capture Constantinople, the country of Georgia, and would wipe the world clean and turn all the churches into mosques. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, which sounded pretty good to them. So <laughs> things were eventually settled, and now finally, Saladin can move on to the Crusaders. All right. Yes, and as it turns out, Saladin now had the justification to do so because the Crusaders were raiding Muslim trading ships in the Red Sea, and a couple Crusaders were claiming that they were going to go to the Muslim holy city of Medina and steal the body of Muhammad. What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yes. Come on. So pro tip for the Christians, if you don't want all the Muslims to be pissed off and allied against you, don't tell them that you're going to steal the body of Muhammad. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? It's like it's a prank. Like, yeah, exactly. we're going to go get them. We're still, but they're like all drunk and you know, yeah. some frat guy's truck just rolling <laughs> through the Middle exactly. East. We're going to go get it. In the morning, uh, they're all just very embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, Saladin killed them all. Oh, uh, there was no morning. <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, there was a morning with an O-U-R. Well, with it lamenting the morning of their death. Anyway. Oh! <laughs> I got okay, it. Okay, so... Right, that's funny. Huh? So, <laughs> All right. On September 29th, 1182, Saladin crossed his army into Crusader territory, and the true war began. All right! Saladin took some prisoners and sacked some villages, and in response, the Crusader states mustered the largest army the Kingdom of Jerusalem had ever produced. Wait, wait so they're called the Kingdom of Jerusalem? The Crusader state. It's one of the Crusader states. Oh, okay, right, we talked about that. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, so the two giant-ass armies kind of shadowed each other for some time, but both were hesitant to join because right. they knew it was like a win-all battle. Yeah. If you lost, you're done. And yeah. both were too hesitant to do that. That makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, to make matters worse, Reynald of Chatillon, uh, yeah, I, think, I, right. I think so, <laughs> who was a crusader prince of Antioch and also a massive scumbag, oh. <laughs> raided a few Muslim trading caravans and may have taken Saladin's sister captive and also may have raped her. Oh, God. Come Details on. are fuzzy on what actually happened here, but nonetheless, Saladin was pissed. And it doesn't sound like he's not got a reason. It yeah. sounds like he's got a reason to be yeah. pissed off, for sure. So he, Saladin responded by trying to take the Crusader fortress of Karak, but was unable to do so. Uh, then in the year 1185, King Baldwin IV of the Kingdom of Jerusalem died. Oh. And he was actually a pretty cool guy. Uh, it seems he and Saladin respected each other, and Baldwin did the best he could with the impossible task of keeping all the various <laughs> Crusader barons and leaders in line. It's like trying to herd cats. Exactly. Try to get first graders to line up to go to lunch. Well, these crusaders, they're from all different European countries. They all speak different languages. They all have different reasons to be in the Holy Land. Like, right. you're gonna have a bad time. You've gotta juggle all these different yeah. motivations. That's a... So King Baldwin IV died. Uh, right. He actually had leprosy and died when he was only 24 years old. Wow, I was imagining this whole time as like this 40, 50-something-year-old dude. No, he was a young dude. guy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And he, he would fight in battles, but he'd only use his left hand because his whole right side of the body was like all corroded from leprosy. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wow. 
So now the Crusaders had lost a great leader, and nobody was there to tell the bloodthirsty barons that total war with Saladin might not be a wise move. Okay. Uh, so many of the Crusader leaders immediately cried out for war, and a massive army of 20,000 Crusader soldiers was mustered to meet Saladin's army of 30,000. Mm, not great odds. Yeah, not great. No. So Saladin laid siege to the Crusader fortress of Tiberias, which is on the modern-day Sea of Galilee, and that's a great name for a fortress. Yeah, Tiberius. Tiberius. <laughs> Uh, and the barons who want war with Saladin, including that scumbag guy Reynald of Chatillon, convinced the new king of Jerusalem, King Guy, to go out and fight Saladin. Uh, however, many of the older knights and members of the knights' hospitaller warned against this as it would be a huge gamble, right. probably wouldn't work, right. and could fuck over the Crusader states forever. I wonder how this ended. <laughs> yep. Uh, you see, if the Crusader army left to fight Saladin, there, would, there wouldn't be any troops left guarding home, and perhaps most notably, there wouldn't be any guys to left to, to defend Jerusalem. Okay. So it was a really heavy gamble. Right. Uh, in the end, though, the Warhawks had their way, and so the massive Crusader army went to attack Saladin. Uh-oh. And things went badly for the Crusaders right away. Tell me more! Saladin had archers on horseback harass the Crusaders from afar during their whole march. Oh, what a pain in the ass! <laughs> yeah, well, this is even worse. At night, the Muslims would chant and bang on drums to keep the Crusaders from sleeping. Wow. <laughs> Furthermore, the Crusaders weren't far from... They were far from any water sources and quickly ran out of water. Oh, that sucks. In contrast... Saladin organized a camel train to bring water to his troops. Okay. Uh, Saladin also set fire on a lot of the wild grass around the Crusaders. The smoke made the Cru Crusaders even thirstier. Oh my god. So you can see where this is going. Yeah. Uh, the final battle took place on July the 3rd and 4th of 1187. It's called the Battle of Hatton, or the Battle of the Horns of Hatton, and is arguably one of the greatest Crusader defeats ever. It wasn't even a battle. Uh, the Crusaders, parched, wounded, and exhausted, saw the Lake of Galilee and broke rank and file in order to run to the lake. Oh, man. Uh, the Muslim horsemen just cut them down without much of a fight at all. Oh. There are even accounts of Christian knights begging the Muslims to kill them so that their misery would end. Whoa. Uh, and in the end, and almost all 20,000 Christian soldiers were killed or captured while Saladin barely lost anybody. That's, I mean, well, he's a master tactician, clearly. Yeah, he, he baited them into this terrible situation of just being stuck in the desert. It's really clever. It is. Yeah, really just let the, the region do the work for you. Well, and all the old crusaders were like, look... You can't fight him head to head. Stay next to water. Right. But the Warhawks had their way, and it was just terrible. That's terrible for them. Yeah. Oh well. Anyway, dozens of important crusaders were taken prisoner and brought before Saladin, including the new king of Jerusalem, King Guy, and that dude Reynald uh, of Chetian, who had attacked the Muslim baggage trains years prior, and also may have possibly raped Saladin's sister. Right. Uh, so when they were brought before Saladin, Saladin actually offered a goblet of water to King Guy, which is a traditional Islamic sign that a prisoner would be spared. Interesting. Yeah, however, King Kai didn't know this, okay. <laughs> so he just passed the drink over to Reynald, uh, and Saladin immediately slapped the drink out of Reynald's hand and said, I did not ask this evil man to drink, and he would not save his life by doing so. Oh, shit! Saladin then pulled out his sword and decapitated Reynald on the spot. Oh, talk about a movie moment there. Well, it's in a movie. It is? Yeah, Kingdom of Heaven, this scene is in the movie. Whoa! And Kingdom of Heaven, eh... I have mixed feelings about it, but right. it covers most of this, and there's some cool scenes. Okay, yeah. interesting. Oh. Uh, so King Guy then assumed he would be killed too, but Saladin sheathed his sword and Pickles, said- Pickles, shut the fuck up. Mm. 
right right at this cool scene. Sorry, too. I'm sorry. No, that's alright. That it's the cat's fault. Alright. <laughs> Carry on. I'll so, scratch his head again. So King Guy, the King of Jerusalem, assumed he would be killed, but Saladin uh, put his sword away and said, Kings do not kill kings. Oh. Many of the other Christian barons were then allowed to leave and return to their homes. Uh, King Guy was wow. taken to, to Damascus as a prisoner, but his wife wrote to Saladin and begged for her husband's release, and Saladin, Saladin eventually agreed to her wish and Whoa. just let him go. This guy's like He's kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> he's a nice. I well, I, I don't know. I it, really it's like different. It. He, yeah, he kills. He kills his enemies, and I mean, like that Reynold guy. Yeah, well, yeah, and that guy deserved to die. Right, but he didn't like get into like bloodlust mode and start killing captives. And right, all his captives he spared, which was different for the time. Right. Uh, he did sell them into slavery, which okay. slavery was around, but... Right, right. Eh, but, I mean, he's not killing he's them. He's not killing them. And we'll get into more of his generosity later. Okay. Uh, anyway, but the people he did kill, any knights of the Knights Hospitaller were put to death. Oh, I no see. No questioning. Because they were often the ones who were doing the raids, and they were the best fighters. Oh. He didn't want to fight them again. Right, right. Yeah. Also, any Arabs who had fought on the Christian side, and who had converted to Christianity, he killed. Okay. Because okay. they were, you know, traitors to the cause. Right, right. Yeah. Anyway, so the result of the Battle of Hatton was terrible for the Crusader states. Most of their soldiers were now dead, and there was nobody to defend against Saladin. Well, that sucks. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, Saladin immediately moved his army and began the siege of Jerusalem. Right. Saladin actually wished that the city would be taken without any bloodshed on either side, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. So he ordered that the city uh, surrender. However, Balian of Ibelin, who was commander of Jerusalem, oh, and he's also Orlando Bloom, if you've seen Kingdom of Heaven. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, Balian was worried that Saladin would kill all of the Frankish people in Jerusalem should he surrender the city. So he responded by telling Saladin that he would kill 5,000 Muslim oh. prisoners and desecrate all the Islamic holy places if Saladin did not promise to allow everybody to live. Uh, Which they left out of the movie. Uh, I, would, <laughs> I should think so. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so peace talks did not go well and fighting began. Okay. Uh, the Muslims were able to collapse a portion of the wall but the Christians inside, which was only like 60 knights that had just been knighted and a few militia they were all able to hold off 20,000 Muslim Wait, warriors. they actually held them off? Yeah, and there was just th this fighting day after day over this break in the wall. Bodies were just everywhere. Oh my god. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Jesus! Uh, in the end, a compromise was made. Okay. Jerusalem would surrender unconditionally, because there's no way they, they right, can hold right. out. Uh, in return, Saladin would spare anybody who could pay the charge for their freedom, which was an amount that would be roughly about $50 today in today's cash. Oh, what? <laughs> which is like nothing. Right. Um, so it was really generous on Saladin's, uh, on Saladin's part. But those who could not pay would be sold into slavery. But not killed. Well, yeah. And, and at the same time, like... The way you funded your campaigns largely was by sacking cities and butchering people. Right. So Saladin has to make up the cost somehow. Right. So slavery and ransom seems like a better thing than extermination. Yeah, I, I agree. It's yeah. not a fun thing, but I mean, well, this is different war. times. Like we were talking about. Right, like right. we look back at this and oh, both sides were barbaric and they did barbaric things, but uh, it was different times. That's how everything was handled. Exactly. That doesn't yeah. make it right, but uh, you know, when you have contrasts like this where he's not butchering everybody. Yeah, well, I think it was Julius Caesar who said, like, if you take over a city, it's the victor's right to put everybody to the sword. Mm. Largely because victor uh, attacking armies were... It was near impossible to take a, a walled city. I mean, your troops would be dying on the outside, so right. it was your right to kill everyone inside. Uh, not great morality, <laughs> but it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> 
Anyway, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, blah, blah, blah. We're gonna cut this because I lost my spot and I'm c So Saladin didn't kill everybody in the city and he actually let a lot of people go. Like, he let any of the noble women go for free. He just let them out. Really? Yep, including a Byzantine princess who was there. Uh, Interesting. <laughs> yeah, native Christians who paid the fine were allowed to stay in the city. Whoa! European Christians who paid were granted safe passage back to Crusader territory on the coast. Wow, okay. Unfortunately though, not everybody could pay the ransom and there are actually terrible stories of church leaders marching out of the city after paying their ransom, carrying all sorts of golden treasures instead of buying the freedom for other members of the city. What? Yeah. Jerks? Yeah, uh, Saladin's brother was so moved by this sad sight that he asked Saladin permission to spare a thousand people from slavery. And Saladin agreed to this, and what? thanks to his brother's services... This guy is so nice! I know. Balian, who had defended Jerusalem, he he uh, he himself asked Saladin for the freedom of 500 people, and Saladin agreed to this because he respected Balian. Wow. In addition, any of the elderly people who could not pay the ransom were allowed to go free. Uh, also, Saladin spared another 1,000 people from slavery because they were from his hometown. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in the end, 15,000 people were sold into slavery, but this is still a lot more generous than what Saladin could and should have done according to the laws of the time. Oh, wow. So, it, it's chivalrous, yeah. He's subverting my expectations. He is. Uh, Saladin then had his troops escort the freed Christians back to Crusader, Crusader territory. He also encouraged Jews in the area to move back to Jerusalem. Wow. And oh, wait, he, were they expelled or something? Yeah, a lot of them were because in the first crusade when the Christians were taking Jerusalem, the Jews sided with the Muslims. Oh, wow. Uh, which did not go well for them once the, the Christians won. It, it's all really complicated. Right, right. Interesting, yeah. though. Wow. But Saladin was, he, he was nice to them. Uh, and he also reopened churches in Jerusalem so that Christian pilgrims could continue going to the city. Okay! All in all, these actions made Europe view Saladin as a very just and chivalrous leader. Mm. However, the fall of Jerusalem was still a shock to the Christian world. Uh, in response, a third crusade was called in order to retake the holy city from Saladin. Oh, man. And the response was huge. Uh, the French and English actually stopped fighting each other. <laughs> Remember, there, there's a hundred years war between these two countries. Right. The English and French are always fighting each other. Wow. And they stop so that they can retake the holy city from Saladin. Uh, also, uh, so King Richard the Lionheart of England, King Philip II of France, and King Frederick Barbarossa of Germany all gathered armies to crusade. Interesting. Uh, because three kings went on the crusade, the third crusade is often called the King's Crusade. That, I, wanna, I wonder mm -hmm. if Operation Barbarossa is named after this guy. I think Frederick it is. Barbarossa. Yep. Yeah, so, so it's World comparing it to a crusade. Operation Barbarossa was what, James? Uh, it's Hitler's surprise attack on Russia. Right. To, it was a three-point plan. He had three armies, a trident attack into Russia. And there are three kings here. Uh, who knows? Barbarossa's yeah. from Germany. Yeah. A anyways. Okay. So, <laughs> another funny thing is that European countries also started a tithe called the Saladin Tithe to fund the Third Crusade, which is great. <laughs> So, now, all three kings had massive armies and funds at their disposal, and things didn't look great for our boy Saladin. Oh, no. But then things took a turn. <laughs> so, King Barbarossa of Germany was traveling with his, with his army through Turkey when he fell off his horse and drowned uh in a river. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. I mean, he was 68 years old. What? <laughs> so, it's not too surprising. It's like living to be 120. Yeah, it's true, then. yeah. Uh, but this kind of took the Germans out of the picture uh, when their leader was dead. A lot of them returned home, and some went on to help the Crusader states. 
Uh, Duke Leopold V of Austria did show up, and he gathered the remainder of the German forces. So there was hope once again. Okay. So Leopold of Austria, King Philip of France, King Richard of England landed landed at the Muslim-controlled port fortress of Acre in the year 1191, and immediately began siege. Okay. Now this was a huge threat to Saladin. Right. You had a united Christian army of English, French, and German soldiers. They, of course, were backed by the few surviving Crusader states, and also by the Armenian and Byzantines. Okay. So it's a huge Christian coalition. Right. And the Third Crusade likely would have succeeded if these guys all stayed together. Oh. But what happened? Yeah, what did happen? Well, King Richard the Lionheart happened. Oh, shit. (laughs) So at the Siege of Acre, the Christians had a tough time getting onto the walls. Uh, Like you do? Yep. Uh, The Austrians were the first Crusaders to make it onto the wall, and they immediately raised the sigil of the Austrian leader, Leopold. As is their right. King Richard was so pissed that his men weren't weren't the ones to take the walls that he climbed onto the walls, picked up the Austrian flag, chucked it over the walls, <laughs> and replaced it with his own flag. Oh my, that's so petty! I know. <laughs> so Acker was eventually taken by the Crusaders, and the Austrians and Germans were so pissed off by Richard that they eventually abandoned the crusade and went back home. <laughs> Uh, King Philip of France also got in an argument with Richard about who should rule Jerusalem once they retake it. Richard refused to agree, and uh, also Philip was getting kind of sick, so he and most of the French troops returned home. Not good. So now it was only Richard, his English army, and a few native crusaders, which was a much smaller threat to Saladin. I bet that makes Saladin happy. He does, but he still sees Richard as a threat, so he made a plan to ambush Richard and the crusaders as they marched down the Mediterranean coast. Uh, However, Richard knew the possibility of an ambush, so he marched his troops in battle formation with weapons drawn and ready to fight. Okay! On September 7th, 1191, Saladin attempted to ambush Richard's troops, but Richard was ready and the battle, called the Battle of Arsuf, was a total crusader victory. Wow! Saladin lost 7,000 of his men, which was only about a third of his army, but still enough to set him back. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Richard then went on to construct a bunch of forts on the coast, but was unable to take Jerusalem. Uh, meanwhile, both Richard and Saladin grew sort of reluctant, grew a reluctant admiration for the leadership skills of the other. Now I've heard about this. Yeah, they sent each other gifts and started talking about the possibility of peace. They also oh. sent each other like pen pal letters, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they never met. Interestingly enough, that is interesting. Yeah. Uh, But before peace could be settled on, Saladin tried to take the crusader city of Jaffa, but Richard managed to get his army there and defeat Saladin again. Uh, This series of defeats forced Saladin to really consider peace talks. Richard and Saladin never actually met, like I said, but eventually they did agree to a peace of three years. That's something. Saladin recognized the crusader saints on the Levant coast, and and Christian pilgrims would be allowed to travel to Jerusalem. In return, Richard recognized Saladin's control of Jerusalem, which would prevent another crusade in the next three years. Right, right, right. Uh, thus, the Third Crusade was kind of a failure for Christians because they hadn't taken back Jerusalem. But at the same time, it was kind of a victory because Saladin had claimed he would drive the Crusaders into the sea and he was stopped from doing so. Uh, okay. So, at the end of the Third Crusade, I think we're finally done with Saladin's adult life. Wow, that was fun. That was a lot. That was a lot, but very interesting stuff. Uh, I don't know what else to say. Nope. Let's cut. Let's cut. Shall we? And we are back to We Talk About Dead People, and when we left off, we were talking about Saladin's adult life and all his crusading stuff, or anti-crusading stuff. Who knows? Yep. Um, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, now we're going to go into Walt Disney's end and death. Okay. Okay. Now, I know what you're thinking. 
uh, well, Disney died. How could the one true god die? I'm glad you asked, James. Turns out that... <laughs> this is gonna be another the... resurrection joke, isn't it? Oh, come on, James. Have a little more faith in me than that, or should I say, have a little more faith in Walt Disney. Jesus Christ. Exactly! <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> now, when we left old Walt, he was Biggie making... Biggie. 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 <laughs> When we left Old Walt, he was busy making assloads of cash off his theme parks and movies, and was being widely acclaimed for his work. Yeah. He was also smoking unfiltered cigarettes. Oh dear. And had been since serving in the Red Cross in World War One. Oh dear. So in 1966, he was diagnosed with that dragon cancer. Oh. It was a bad case, and he died just a month after his diagnosis. Jeez. Um, after his death, the Disney company completed The Jungle Book and then pretty much stopped all animated films until 1989 when they made The Little Mermaid. Wow, that's yeah. like 23 years. Yeah, so during that time, they produced many live-action films. Hmm. Uh, Walt's brother, Roy, took control of the company and oversaw the continued expansion of Disney World. Hmm. Uh, he's actually the one responsible for changing Epcot from some bizarre futuristic community into what amounts to a permanent world's fair. Got it. Right. So the rest is history. Yep. What? Yep. 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 The, okay. <laughs> the rest is history. Uh, the Walt Disney Company changed hands numerous times. Uh, during these years, from the late 80s to the 2000s, the company bought a few IPs and whatnot. Uh, the last member of the Disney family was Walt's Ro uh, nephew, Roy, of course, named after his brother, yep. uh, who died in 2009, effectively ending the family's connection to the company in all but name. Interesting. So they're no longer really a part in it? No. Oh, wow. No. Okay. Um, now... We need to get rid of Pickles. Yep. I can hear him purring. Me too. Now, we've recently seen Disney buying basically everything. Have we? Yes, we okay. have. Uh, there's worry that the company is becoming a monopoly since mm. it now owns Lucasfilm, Marvel, Pixar, and other giant and beloved filmmaking companies. Jeez. Um, they've also, some, you know, they've produced some good stuff yeah. and some bad stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for every halfway decent Marvel movie, there's a really confused and shitty Pixar film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this isn't really a film criticism podcast. This sure. is a history podcast, damn it. Yeah. So I'm going to stop before I actually start. Uh, actually, no. No, I'm oh, not. Oh, no. They're making a new Indiana Jones movie with oh, Harrison no. Ford, who is over 75 years old. To put that into perspective, he's a few years short of being as old as Ian McKellen. Oh, God. Hell, he's three years older than Richard Harris, the guy who played the first Dumbledore in Harry Potter, wow. who died of old age during the production. Yeah. They're remaking every animated film they ever did in live action. Uh, did we ask for this? I mean, uh, I get it. I seeing Beauty and the Beast portrayed by real actors sounds like it might be interesting, but come on, didn't it feel kind of soulless? Like the studio making it was too cynical to believe in magic? Fuck me, I don't know. One hundred and one Dalmatians, Dumbo, Aladdin, Winnie the Pooh, Milan, Pinocchio, James and the Giant Peach, The Little Mermaid, The Sword and the Stone. Wow. They're making origin movies for Cruella Deville and Tinkerbell. What? Just to name two. What? Isn't Disney great? Aren't their movies so great and powerful that they need to be remade by Tim Burton and Guy Ritchie and Sam Mendes? God. And I'm not bad. I'm not mad. Uh, Disney is God. Long live Disney. <laughs> so shall we uh, move Whoa. into Saladin's end and end? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Okay. So when we left Saladin, the Third Crusade had just ended and peace was finally made between the Muslims and the Crusaders. Hooray! Uh, less than a year later, Saladin returned to Damascus, came down with a fever, and died oh. on March 4th, 1193. Okay. He was 55 years old, though, so oh, that's okay. pretty good. Yeah, pretty yeah. good. Uh, at the time of his death, he had only a single golden coin in his possession because he had given everything else away to charity. Whoa! Yeah. Uh, his body is, is still buried in a mausoleum in Damascus, and you can see it. Kind of cool. That's unusual. Usually, like, these tombs disappear and shit. Yeah, it's, he's still there. Yeah, interesting. So Saladin is remembered for being a great military and political leader who was also very honorable. Most crusader leaders, even at that time, had great respect for Saladin because of his generosity. Right. Uh, Richard the Lionheart especially really liked Saladin and said he was without doubt the greatest and most powerful leader in the Islamic world. Okay. There's also a cool story that took place in 1191 when a Christian woman living in the Crusader states had her baby stolen from her. Oh no! The baby was promptly sold into slavery <laughs> and the woman was devastated. Whoa. Wait! You sell a baby into slavery? What's it gonna do? I, I, I think more like it's a lifelong investment. Oh right. I guess. So it grows up and then it's yours? Yeah. I'm not an expert in slavery. I just... <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. And I laughed when you said a baby was sold into slavery. So That's a terrible I'm, thing. I'm going straight to hell. Yep. But anyway, so they sold her baby. Yeah, so she went to the Crusader leaders, but they couldn't really do anything because the baby could be halfway across the world by now. Right. So they told her to go to Saladin because he might have pity on her. And she does. Wow. <laughs> so she goes to Saladin and tells him her story and he feels heartbroken for her. Uh, so he sends men out to find the baby, buys it from the slavers with his own money, returns the baby to its mother, and then gives the mother a horse to go back to Christian land. Wow! Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, also interesting, in Dante's Inferno, Saladin is in the special part of hell called Limbo, ah. which is designated for righteous pagans like Socrates and Aristotle and such. Okay. So even Dante, all those years later, felt respect for Saladin. So much respect that he put him in hell. <laughs> well, Limbo, Limbo's not as tortuous as, right. as the rest of hell. Uh, I mean, I know the story. It's, yeah. it's just a fucking joke. <laughs> God damn it. Sorry. <laughs> anyway. In the Islamic world, Saladin is generally loved and respected. He uh, he managed to unite much of the Islamic world at the time, including all different sects of Islam and various nationalities that usually would have been enemies. Well, that's good. Uh, he's somewhat he's become somewhat of an icon in the recent Arab Spring uprisings because of his kind of Islamic nationalistic imagery. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, one interesting thing though is that Saladin was a Kurd, uh, and most Islamic sects generally don't like Kurds. Right. But Saladin is one Kurd they've kind of accepted and approved of. Yeah. Well, because across it's sort of like Dante. I mean, yeah. across the board, he was just a good You can't not guy. like him. Yeah. yeah. That's, well, that's very inspiring. Yeah. But I think it's time to head to the surface. What a fucking long episode. I know. It was great, though. It was good. I had a lot of fun. I did, too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Off we go. <laughs> So what are you going to do for the rest of the day, James? Uh, I'm going to stuff cigarettes in both my ears, <laughs> smile like a whale, and eat plankton. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? Um, I am going to do my laundry. Oh. And then I'm going to 
fall into a coma. <laughs> <laughs> laundry comas are the best uh, comas. Yes. <laughs> the only place I thing I prefer to doing laundry is being in a coma. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's top, probably time to bring the show to an end yeah, for today. It's about that time. Feel free to send all your hate mail to we talk about dead people podcast at gmail.com and we will read all of it and nod along. If you hate us, you're probably right. If you like us, though, Please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on patreon.com. That's patreon.com slash we talk about dead people. Uh, even as little as a dollar, as much as it costs to fund a new crusade helps tremendously. I should also note that we are on Twitter and we're gaining followers pretty quickly. Oh. And we like to post history memes and jokes and news about episodes and oh. things on there. So if you want to follow us on Twitter, find us on Twitter. It's WTADP Podcast. That's our handle. You can also find us on Facebook under the We Talk About Dead People page. Uh, feel free to go over there. It's not as exciting as the Twitter, but it is there. Um, if you can't donate anything or anything like that, um, just fucking rate the show. I mean, that itself is yeah. huge. Tell your friends. Yeah, tell your friends. Rate tell your show. enemies. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely tell your enemies. Yes, please do. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell your enemies. <laughs> so our cover art was created by the extremely gifted Ian Patterson of Ian, Ian, of Ian Patterson Illustration. I'm fucking Don't up. fuck up his name. That man is our savior. <laughs> Ian Patterson Illustration. Yes. Uh, you can view more of his phenomenal work. I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's, it's good. Uh, at www ipattersonillustration.com You will not be bored on nope. that website, guarantee it. Uh, with all that being said, we'll close out and let the sounds of the Third Crusade play you out. Richard the Lionheart is an asshole. Yeah, Richard the, Li Richard the Lionheart is an asshole. Please <laughs> repeated what I said. So what? <laughs> So, that Assassin's Creed game, that's pretty historically accurate, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah? yeah. As, as historical games go, it's like number one. Yeah, yeah. Just but, like, well, no, number two. No, Call of Duty. Like, if you want modern history, oh, Call yeah. of Duty just knocks it out of the park, Dude, man. I tell you what, with Call of Duty World War II, they really captured the feeling of the entire World War. Oh, holy I mean, shit. Everything that happened from the beginning of the war when America landed on the beaches to when America took back Berlin or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. America took Berlin. It wasn't the Soviets. That's bullshit. They weren't, were they even in the war? What even is a Soviet? Oh. No. World War II. Call of Duty. World War II and Assassin's Creed are some of the greatest story-based games ever made. I gotta say. Yeah. Oh, and one other thing. By the way, for those of you listening who have played Call of Duty World War II, I would like you to know that it is likely that there were PPSH-41s on the beaches of Normandy, because most of the soldiers defending the beaches of Normandy against the Americans were... What were they, James? Uh, what? They were not German. No. <laughs> there were uh, Poles and Czechs and Russians yeah, they were forced to fight the Americans. Uh, and also, for the last fucking time, <laughs> D-Day was not the turning point in the European theater of World War II. It was Stalingrad. America just loves to just whip our dick out and slap it on Normandy Beach and it was not the turning point. It was the nail in the coffin but Stalingrad was the fucking turning point. Well, <laughs> James is drunk, everybody. <laughs> Rant about something else, James. What? <laughs> uh, give me a topic. I don't know. Okay, how about Kingdom of Heaven? Um... <laughs> 
Okay, well, Kingdom of Heaven. So, you've got Orlando Bloom. Right. And his, uh, fucking Orlando Bloom. He's basically Legolas in the Crusades. Right. There's this scene where he's on a ship coming to the Mediterranean with a bunch of other Crusader ships, and then there's a storm, and all the ships... They crash into the the seaside and they all die. And I don't know what I'm saying. Everybody dies except Orlando Bloom and a single horse. Um, and then he gets on the horse and rides to safety. And what, it's like that. What the fuck? That doesn't that, happen. Did that ha- it didn't happen. I don't think so. <laughs> but you don't. Know. I don't know. <laughs> Okay, we're looking it up right yeah, now. Let's find Balian, out. Balian, here we come. <laughs> Orlando Bloom, it's your doom. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we went I to Google. <laughs> James doesn't know There's what the fuck he's talking about. Him. Oh my god. Um, hey, what's our what's our Patreon requirement for a drunk episode? Like, I'm really not drunk. I, t- I had two glasses of wine. <laughs> But what what is it? Like I don't know. Let me go look. Patreon.com slash we talk about dead people. Because that would be interesting. I, I think it'd be really fun, but we have to meet the goal first. We can't just give these people exactly. nice things. Fuck they have to no. pay for it. We're not goddamn socialists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not so we're not socialists, yes, yes indeed. Okay, goals. One percent. When we reach a th- wait, that's a long term goal. What? If we get a thousand dollars a month eventually for uh, for an episode, we'll start another podcast. Shit. Series. But a thousand dollars a month is a long way off. Right now we have fourteen dollars. <laughs> Um, hey, you know what? That's fine. Hey, I'll take it. It's yeah. not about the money anyway. Not for me anyway. Uh, it's about you. It's about all oh. of our listeners. Wow. Okay. For two bucks, you can get a shout out on the podcast. We okay. us- we sometimes do that anyway. If you um, like share our shit on Twitter, we kind of like shout outs. Yeah, we like shout outs. Yeah. But uh, five dollars or more, uh, you get a look at upcoming episodes. Um, occasional bonus content. Uh, episodes that either didn't make the cut or the or character, what or nudes? Nudes. <laughs> um, <laughs> episodes that didn't quite make the cut but are still funny, or you know, uh, subjects of uh, well, I should say characters from history that had too little to do on them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but were stu- super interesting anyway. Mm-hmm. Also, you get a shout on the podcast. Uh, ten dollars. Uh, history buff is the is the level. If you okay. get ten dollars. Um, I will read a historical quote of your choice in whatever voice you ask. Oh dear. Plus everything you plus everything else. As long as the um, quote isn't, you know, terrible. No, I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you make something, me read something out of Martin Luther's on the Jews and their lives. We're not gonna read that. No. Um, okay, the fifteen dollars a month, you get to pick someone who we do on an episode. Um, plus all previous rewards. Mm. Uh, Twenty dollars a month. James Naren will do a drunk episode. That's way too high. Uh, That's way too high. I'd do it for. The problem is, it's like if we make it too low, we're gonna be drunk we're gonna all be the drunk drunk for time. episode. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna look at our. We'll, we'll change. Things. We'll we'll adjust some things. We're new to this too, yeah, folks. We're very <laughs> new. Um. For 30 bucks or more, um, you get an entire episode dedicated to you and to historical figures of your choice. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's pretty That's sweet. pretty reasonable. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. I mean, I mean, our two donors, the two Adams who have paid for our hosting costs for the year, um, you know, they gave... God bless them. One of them gave five bucks and the other gave ten bucks. And, you know, it was great because hosting costs aren't all that high for us right now. Um, but... But we want to be rich. <laughs> that is not okay. 
<laughs> Disclaimer, we don't actually care to be rich. No. We just like making great content. We like making people laugh and think. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the that's the fun part of it, yeah. Um, but yeah. I mean, ideally, if we're being real here, I would podcast for a living. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. And I love you. Me? No. Oh, good. The listeners. <laughs> I was gonna get really complicated. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. getting married. <laughs> I'll be at your wedding. Ah, James! Why? Yep. Yeah. I don't know. No. And rant. <laughs> so we should probably close this. We're nearing two hours. <laughs> that's, that's a record. Oh my god. We do it for them. I have one more thing to say. Okay. Just one more thing to yes. say. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you well you're thinking about that. Can I can I say something? Of course. Okay. Have you ever met a bad Shannon? No. Uh, every uh, Shannon I've met is just the most amazing woman. Yeah. Unless it's a man with the name Shannon, in which case that must have been a tough childhood. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Any uh, <laughs> shout out to all the Shannons out there. 